Welcome to the Nourish Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today we have a full strength team. We have Asimenya You really simpered that, mate. You love a good simmering, don't you? <laughs> and we have the Lion King himself. The Lion King. Never touched a trombone in my life. <laughs> oh no, what a horrible start. What a horrible start. Just gives a, an insight into the kind of conversations we had before we start recording. Just look up simbering and then you'll know. Oh, don't. Don't. You really don't do that. If you value your self-esteem or if you've had lunch or you're looking at your lunch while you're listening to this don't but it's worth noting terry and i had to also like find out what that was this evening <laughs> andy just knew <laughs> that's a, that's the levels we operate and at. andy had that look of just someone who's been scarred <laughs> he was in the lion king he was um lying for the king neither of you have had a particularly interesting Do you think weekend? gallagher would shag a lion <laughs> <laughs> just putting it out there uh, I don't know. It's going to be a hell of a. Be interesting argument. if he just had loads of exotic pets that he was trying to impregnate. Oh, <laughs> impregnate? What? Fuck me! It's kind of just some there. twisted Doctor Doolittle. Well, he's probably just there looking at a wolf, going, "You got more stamina than fucking Quig ever had." <laughs> oh Jesus! What Christ. a lovely image. So we've covered that's covering simbering and bestiality. We're one minute and forty-five seconds in. Brilliant! Nice. Brilliant! <laughs> Start of a good show. <laughs> Uh, Set the tone and carry on. Yeah. It's horrendous weather outside. I've got cabin fever, man. I've been in all week with the kids. It's, really? Uh, yeah. I thought we were going to get stuffed by the snow, but luckily the rain's seen yeah. us through. So now I'm set free for this, so I'm all pent up, ready oh, to really? go. What about you, Terry? Mate, I'm in hibernation mode. I can't right. even lie about that. Just hibernation mode. Just... If I don't have to leave the house, there's no reason to. It's just cold as fuck. Why are people spending money when this is fucking cold? Like, like you can't even enjoy spending money when it's as cold. Did you get your PlayStation though? For fuck's sake, no. <laughs> so, 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 so now I'm gonna have to get the PS4 Pro. I'm just like, fuck it. I'll spend the extra hundred quid get the PS4 Pro, full 4K and all that sort. You know, of stuff, stuff like Amazon will deliver it to you. Like you don't even have to go out. No, but but I'm agonised over. I just get a new TV with it as well because you know I need that full 4K effect and then get the sound bar. Because I, you know, I need to feel fully immersed. But then there's the VR thing. I saw it on AJ Snapchat. There's the PlayStation VR headset. I don't know what to do. <clears throat> if anyone is a PlayStation expert and has tried all this stuff, please tweet me. Tell me what Give I should do. Give him advice. So from that, I take the fact that even though you're in hibernation mode, the, the most minor question can set you off. <laughs> so from, have you got your PlayStation to the weather? So happy days. We're Let's back. Go into the boxing then. Um, Just a quick one. Thanks to everyone for the good feedback last week. Because I know when we dropped that one, we didn't realise what a pipe bomb we'd lit. So thank you for the feedback. Yeah, uh, two other thank yous. Thank you to nobody for suing us. 
which I was genuinely like, I text Andy during the week because yeah. I'm just waiting for my emails to ping because <laughs> certain people have got my email address already. It's the so. charm we bring to the podcast, mate. <clears throat> if you're charming about it, it's fine. <laughs> and thank you to those that left us iTunes reviews. I think we've got five new ones. My favourite one being from uh, Frank's legal team. <laughs> So whoever left that under the pseudonym of Frank's legal team, I uh, I appreciated that when I read We're it. We're watching you, Theobald. <laughs> yeah, so to reiterate, thank you very much. Make sure, those of you who haven't, please leave us some more. And just in support of Andy, if anyone sees anyone out there stealing oxygen, feel free to <laughs> slap them around the back of the head. Or wasting skin. <laughs> the mask slipped that during that brief comment. But anyway, let's get on with the boxing. Um... Errol Spence versus Lamont Peterson. What happened? Genuinely, um, what happened? I have no idea. We, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if we go back to Spence versus Brook, you know, you weren't really sure because you're like, is that really a prime Kel Brook? Is that really a, is that the best Kel Brook that could have been? So we were always like, we need to see one more fight. So they give him Lamont Peterson. Now, okay, Peterson's not a big welterweight. He's more of a 140 fighter for his career, <laughs> wasn't he? It was, yeah. Uh, but but he, he's he's matured into it, whereby he's fought at 147 and he's given people problems at 147. It, it was a fair enough first defense for Errol Spence. Um, you know, if you're not unifying, then Peterson's in that group of people you can't unify with. And at no point in that whole fight did I believe Lamont Peterson stood a chance. As soon as <clears throat> Errol Spence says his thing, well, <clears throat> let me start again. I think Errol Spence is rewriting the you know the rule book when it comes to boxing. He really is, and watching him is a joy because you're seeing someone who thinks differently to how boxing is traditionally viewed. So, if you look at the work Spence does, it's a, it's almost like golden ratio of six to four, um, head versus body. So he really savages Lamont Peterson's body for the first four or five rounds. <clears throat> Straight lefts to the body, right hooks to the body. And some of them were called low by the ref, but I think they're on the belt line. But it was as if Peterson felt the power and just realized he had no answer to that. And and Peterson seemed to box not scared, but he was definitely inhibited because he'd get into position. He'd be he'd be, you know, well inside of Spencer's jab. He'd have his hands up by his ears and he wouldn't let a single shot go. Then Spencer would step back, throw a jab and a straight right to the body and reestablish control. And it was one-sided beating for most of it. Um, what I really appreciated above all else, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, the corner work from Barry Hunter was absolutely brilliant throughout the rounds. You know, he was giving the right advice and there's a really poignant moment. I think it's at the end of the sixth round and he's talking to Lamont Peterson and Lamont Peterson's like, you know me, B. And he's looking at Barry Hunter like, you know, I'll fight till the death. And Barry Hunter and there's a, t- there's a massive tinge of compassion in his voice. It's like, you've got to show me something. You've got to show me the jab. Peterson comes out, seventh round. Even, as, even with Spence back in first gear, Peterson had nothing to give him. You know, it was, that, it was almost like the Kelbrook 10th round where Peterson went out with that final hurrah, comes back to the corner, and Barry Hunter doesn't talk. He just looks at his man. And he was like, I remember this, it's probably the most powerful words we'll hear in boxing this year. He just said to Lamont Peterson, just stay here. Right? Just stand here. You're not going anywhere. And that's when you knew the fight was over. And he just waved it off. He said to the ref, the fight's done. 
and I know we talk about quitting in boxing a lot. I don't think that was quitting. I would probably describe that as more of a, that's a compassionate stoppage. You weren't going to win the fight. You were sustaining punishment. You're 33 years old. That's not how you want your career to end. But you're left thinking, I don't see who beats Errol Spencer at 147. I'm struggling to see who beats him at 154. And you're almost looking at Spence now going, at what point would he try and make it at middleweight? Well, uh, funny you should say that. Uh, Nobby's Bet Slips asks, Spence is a massive welterweight. <laughs> How do you think he would do at light middleweight against the top guys in that division? Do you think he could even compete at middleweight at some point in his career? Which presumably you could. His style is so atypical. <clears throat> you don't see guys savaging the body like he does. And the thing about going to the body is, you leave yourself exposed to a headshot, but it's almost like he hits so hard that people just want to get away from being hit that hard without countering him. Will Keith Thurman give him the same kind of respect? Don't know. Would someone like a J-Rock Williams give him that or Jared Hurd? Don't know. It'll be hard to make fights with the Charlo brothers because they all train together. It'll be hard to fight Trout. It'll be hard to fight Lara because it's all in and around the same camp. But he'd smash the life out of Liam Smith, though, for absolutely sure. So, you know, if Frank wants to give Smith a WBO <laughs> title, I'm sure Spence will come and take that off him. Mine. It was beautiful to watch. Just beautiful. Like, he does everything very well. So the straight one, too, it was just catching Peterson. He seems to hit so hard. Like, Peterson, at times, would walk forward with the gloves up in front of his face. And like he's clearly had enough of being punched in the face, so he's he's properly covering himself up tightly, and those gloves still get through, still like you're knocking him back, and so he brings him up even tighter and higher, and so he just at that point, <laughs> at that point, Spence just drops his shots to the body, and so like those gloves are up around the face, and so the shots start going into the body, and you're just looking at it thinking, I don't know what you can do. That like those punches are so hard and so effectual. Because we saw it happen to Brooke as well. That like he just broke him yeah. uh, in segments, and it was almost like, you know, when you play a computer game, and that character that you've got after certain games or certain fights, they get like red areas around their body. So they might have it around one arm, the other arm, like <laughs> the head, the body, like certain segments, and you can fix them at the end of each like fight or each game, whatever it is that you're playing. It almost feels like that's how Errol Spence sees his opponent. And so he sees where each part of the person is like going red and he'll just start targeting that more and more until the person brings down or brings up their gloves and then Spence will just find another target area. And he hits like ridiculous. He doesn't look like he should. He looks like such a nice young man. And by the end of that seventh round when it's all cooled off, he doesn't look like he's been in a fight. He doesn't look like he's been bothered about this. Um, And he was having fun in there. But my issue with it is that, I mean, Peterson isn't... He's not an elite 147 fighter. This fight should have happened four or five months ago. After he took the belt off Brook last year, he's been too inactive. And that is maybe an indictment of being a PBC fighter. Don't know. Um, But this fight, like Peterson is fine as a first defense, but it should have been four or five months ago um, rather than being now. But it was a hell of a performance. I loved watching it. So what what, um, what would be a, a good fight for him Moving forward, I'm not, I'm not asking a generic question of what happens next for him, but who is the sort of fighter that's going to give him a real He needs to test? fight the best. That's it's the only Thurman. thing you can do. Like, like now you're putting him in with Thurman, you're putting him in with Danny Garcia. He, he's, he might even be ahead of those guys right now. 
Sean Richards asks, um, how do you think Spence gets on if he fights Crawford? I think he beats Thurman, but not sure about Crawford. We haven't seen enough of Crawford at 147 to make a, an educated guess about it yet. Um, Crawford sped through those weight divisions, and we need to see if it catches up with him or whether he's perfectly fine within 147. But, you know, he's not really fought of that weight, so it's hard to tell whether or not... The same as people ask about how would Usyk do at heavyweight. Get him to heavyweight, and then we'll find out. <laughs> um, but at the moment, I can't tell you how good Crawford's going to be. For me, he beats Thurman at the moment. I would say he beats Crawford because Crawford isn't a 147 fighter yet. He will be, and he'll take those fights. No doubt he'll smash Jeff Horn up. Um, but that's the fights we want to see now. Errol Spence against these people, the, the top 147 fighters. Josh Finch asks, do, you think, uh, do any of you think that Thurman is afraid of Errol Spence? Surely he wants to add the IBF belt, but he's coming across as afraid. What do you guys think? That's a fucking stupid question. <laughs> Thanks for messaging in, Josh. No, but, but, but I, I get annoyed by this, right? Clearly. Think about these guys' careers. At some point, Keith Thurman was a small guy, and he was in the ring against big guys that could punch. He's not afraid of getting hit, and he's not afraid of getting hurt. None of these guys, at that level, like once you get to world championship level, the reason fights don't happen is rarely out of fear. It is simply because... The money's not right or the timing's not right. You know, let's remember Thurman's coming off surgery. So he needs one fight or two, depending on, you know, how the recovery went, just to work out where he is. Let Thurman get his, let, let him shake the ring rust off. And I'm sure he'll be looking at Spence like, let's unify. I don't think that the fight's <coughs> hard to make. I just think we need to get both men in the same place where they both feel at the top of their game. Last week, I said no boxer believes they would get beaten by another boxer. Like, every boxer believes that on their day, they could beat any other boxer. And I mean that from journeyman through to world champion. Like, every one of them yeah, is delusional isn't that, enough. Isn't, isn't that the caveat that they always use, on my day, as though just one day they're going to wake up with fire in their face? Yeah, so, something. like, some journeymen don't go out there to try and win a fight. They just go out there for the walk around so they get but a... if I did, that kind of mentality. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if they turn it on, and you see it every now and then, the likes of Chris Lay, every now and then, will just knock someone out. He's, he might have gone like 30 fights without doing any damage to anyone. Like literally no damage. He'll just cover up and walk around for four rounds. But now and then, to avoid getting in front of the board and one of their hearings, he'll go out there and ice someone. <laughs> but on his day, he can do that. Every boxer believes on their day they can beat someone else. So Keith Thurman won't be sat at home thinking, that's a scary prospect. He'll be sat at home thinking, bring it on. On my day. Yeah. So remember that. No one's scared of anyone. So when people say so-and-so is scared of Daniel Dubois, they're not scared. What they're probably saying is the money's not right for what you want me to go through. But I have no fear in going through it if the money's right. Yeah. And they're two different things. Uh, Robert Easter Jr. versus Javier Fortunes. Fortuna. So ah, oh, so close. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's my handwriting to be Partly, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't know who it was, so otherwise I could have, you know, <laughs> rolled with it. But yeah, sorry, Fortuna. I didn't see it, so I'll hand over to Terry. Um, So if we go back to, you know, Robert Easter Jr., what's he, 5'11", 6 foot at lightweight. So he's 135 pounds and he's an absolute giant at the weight. But, you know, instead of thinking you're looking at the reincarnation of Thomas Hearns, now, he, he does that thing that Riddick Bowe used to do a lot, where he wants to box on the inside. And so he negates every advantage he has by engaging with people close range and mid range. And so what ends up happening, let's be brutally honest, Fortuna has a chance. 
Um, you know, Issa did all the everything wrong. He's fighting in close. He's he's dipping his head so Fortuna could hold and hit and all sorts of stuff. And so I think it was a I think it was a split decision win for Easter Junior. But he looked he looked terrible. He actually looked terrible, and he shouldn't be. He should be a guy who's icing people. Yeah, it should just be one twos like Thomas Hearns used to do, just icing people, even like a like a like Vernon Forrest or something. Because at the moment he looks like he's boxing as if he's been doing too much of that Mayweather pad work and he's just happy to try and catch and counter and throw those little snappy combinations. But top-level boxing doesn't allow you to do that. Um, Jamie Ingleby says, uh, more of a statement, the question, uh, the race is on to fight Robert Easter Jr. given his lack, uh, lackluster performance. Uh, then must Lightweight contenders must be chomping at the bit to get him first. Um, what's Luke Campbell's IBF ranking? Uh, and I think someone needs to get Easter Jr. to study Thomas Hearns. Well, first and foremost, Jamie Ingleby is a Leeds United fan, so he really needs to have a word with himself. <laughs> like, let's just be serious about what's important in life. Like, change your football team, man. Come on. But <clears throat> who wants... Sorry, who wants a Leeds United fan as part of that? You know, like, if he said, I'm an Arsenal fan, do you really want someone the, as an Arsenal fan who used to be a Leeds United fan? Yeah, I don't want him joining... Don't like, want a second-hand fan who used to be Leeds United. They're tainted for life. They'll just now. support MK Dons. If he's got to, like, take up another club, that's what people do. <laughs> Little fucking scumbag MK Dons fans. If you're, once you're a Leeds fan, there's only <laughs> MK Dons or Millwall you can support. You can't even support Millwall because they don't like Leeds either. But... I'm going to get so much abuse from dangerous fans. I love you. I Let's love you, wind really. up a few more. Yeah. Hey. I love you really. You're, all your football clubs are amazing. Except Game of Dons. Right. So they're not dangerous. It's fine. Yeah. No, but if you're, if you're all these guys, like if, you, if you're Linares, if you're Mikey Garcia, even if you're Lomachenko, you're looking at Easter Junior, you're saying, if he's going to give me that much ground, I'm just going to tee off on him. And he struggles when you've got a high work rate. You know, he could make life easy for himself by just staying long behind the jab. But it's almost like he's trying too hard to entertain. Um, he's got that Broner-ness about him. And it probably comes from hanging around with Broner where he doesn't do what he should do. He does what he wants to do. And eventually that's going to catch up with him. Do I think Luke Campbell could beat him? No. I don't think Campbell's the guy to beat him because Campbell's not the most intelligent of boxers. And I don't... Easter doesn't strike me as a guy that got tired. But if you go back to the Richard Comey fight, there were times there where if Comey had connected a couple more times, he'd have taken Easter Jr. out of there. So <clears throat> I think if you're heavy-handed and you're punching combinations, you're a nightmare for Easter Jr. Um, Linares would be licking his lips. You okay, Bless you, Andy. You okay? Yeah. I don't need to edit that out. Carry on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Let, let people know you're, you're human. No, so they must think I'm some sort of robot boxing encyclopedia by this point, obviously. No, all you know to do is swipe right. That's the kind of robot you are. But 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 I think in in closing, let's see how people do against Javier Fortuna before we send them towards Robert Easter Jr. Because Fortuna's no mug himself. So, you know, that was a pretty high level fight. Fortunes. Oh no, no. Oh yeah. No, but 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 once again, credit to PBC. If we're talking promotional, right? We, we wouldn't have seen a card like that in the UK, I don't think. Even even in Hearn's current 2018 renaissance, I don't think we would have seen... Certainly his... not in Frank's. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> just saving you here, just saving you. No, so, so I, think, I, think, 
and I know we give the PBC a hard time, but when they put on cards, they really put on cards because we didn't even discuss Marcus Brown. And Marcus Brown is just starching people for fun. You know, when I hear about these Eastern Europeans who are scary at 175, I'm like, why is, it, why is nobody talking about Marcus Brown? Power in both hands, southpaw, quick on his feet, 2012 Olympian. He's he's everything you'd want in a boxing. I, you know, just to see him on PBC, the, it's a stacked card. And then you had the the, the Polish heavyweight, the, the guy who really looked like he just walked out the pub. I don't know if anyone, <laughs> whoever saw this, will be, will, this is true. The guy looked like he just finished baking the pastries for fucking Tesco's, shows up, just punches the, the life out of this Georgian guy that he's fighting. Just, and the guy was so exhausted, he just fell over. But it was a good, it was a good PBC card. I don't think, yeah, we don't get anything of that quality in this country <laughs> where relatively sensibly matched fights and you go, right, I, I was entertained by all the fights. I can go home happy. Is, that's what we're hoping for with this, with the war between the channels at the moment. That's going to that's gonna. Force it's less a war. It's more an absolute beatdown at the moment. But it is encouraging Hearn to put together some, some very good stuff. Um, Dan Glossier asks, with Anthony Mundine's flash knockout in Australia this week, do you think he's warranted to a bout with Jeff Horn in a domestic super fight after calling him out? I think his recent resume says otherwise, but I got my tongue bitten from Australians for saying that. Can we call it a super fight? Horn versus Mundine. I'm really struggling with that. Like, yeah, I'm struggling. First and foremost, like, if an Australian ever tries to talk to you about anything other than rugby league and steroids, tell him to fuck off. <laughs> Right. I don't care what Australian it is. About, nah, about, get, Joe Gallagher can talk about boomerangs. That. Boomerang use. Well, well, the, the, only, the only Australians who can talk about that are the ones that the white guys don't like. So, <laughs> you know. Why? Why did I even say anything? <laughs> no, no, I'm struggling. Like Jeff Horn, um, <laughs> he's going to fight Terence Crawford. So when he comes back to Australia, he's coming back without a belt. So Anthony Mundine, didn't he fight a middleweight? I didn't really catch he's, it. He's fought at super middle, he's fought at middle, and he's fights at light middle. How the hell this guy makes weight at 40? Ooh, I wonder. Oh, he's an Australian. There's probably not a lot else to do over in Australia in their boxing scene other than like Horn and Mundine. And so... Allegedly. <laughs> and so yeah like throw them together because that is probably the only australian like fight that would register outside of sydney perth whatever but, but mundine fought some guy and i swear they just dug him out the audience he was just there like a float like yeah i'll have a fight and they just found someone he probably disagreed with him at the bar and just said mate yeah i've got some spare kit for you because He's been talking a good game for ages. Do you remember when Mundine was like, I'll fight Mayweather at catch weight? Yeah. Like the whole world wanted to see that. Yeah. <laughs> Madness. But but so I, I will I will say one thing though. So Tony Mundine's dad, who's Tony Mundine Sr., does run a really good gym in Sydney called Redfern. And my friend Eleanor McCarthy trains people out of there. She's just had a kid as well. Congratulations, Ellie. Wonderful young lady. The Best female technician I've seen boxing. Absolutely brilliant. Was unlucky not to make the Olympics in 2012 and 2016. Um, last week, I forgot to answer a question. Uh, so, 
Well, it's to some extent. Let yourself down there, Andy. It's just, it's just as well. I'll answer it for you. I think your record was 2,100 swipes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was from Kieran Nelson. And he asked, what do you guys know about army boxing and its structure? Fuck off. How much time is allocated towards training? And is this the same for other army sports? Um, now... I got in touch with Staff Sergeant Keith Emerson, which is um, a friend of mine, to give you the lowdown as somewhat of a of an upgrade of an apology, given that you'd done everything right. He even <coughs> used the hashtag. That he I've even used moaning. the hashtag, and you still mugged him. Off. Yeah, yeah. So, so you've had to actually go back to your roots in the army to get <laughs> this answer. But um, so yeah, this is uh, Staff Sergeant Keith Emerson with a breakdown as to what would be um about turn left right left something along those <laughs> lines for an army boxer. Hello Andy, just to answer your question, so obviously different levels of boxing throughout the throughout the military. You've got regimental level, um, obviously then core level, then obviously the army level, uh, UK Armed Forces, and it goes on from there. Um, with regards to training then, so everyone's set with six weeks of minimum training. Now, that's laid out in policy through the Army Boxing Association, which obviously details of things that they should be doing a minimum of that. Now, depending on that regimental commitment, will could be anything above that six weeks so six weeks is the minimum at regimental level that boxers will actually do when you step up and you're good enough to fight in obviously the major unit championships and then going on and if you are selected for the army boxing team then that's full-time training and obviously that's a complete different ball game and um, they train full-time they'll box in various championships obviously around the, the ABA scenes I uh, hope that answers your question, mate. Cheers. Bye. Now, to add to that, thanks. thank you very much, Keith. Thank um, you very much, Keith. That's uh, much appreciated. Uh, to add to that, um, at the end of it, at the end of uh, Kieran's question, he asks, is this the same for other army sports? And essentially, yeah, you, you, actually, you actually end up with the army. If, you, if you're good enough at practically any sport and... I can't give you a definitive list of what sports, but there's many, trust Hockey. me. You can be what's called a tracksuit soldier, Hockey. which means, well, yeah, possibly. If there's, there's yeah. <laughs> a lot of Fijians in tracksuits. I mean, you can't, you won't be able to say ice hockey wouldn't be one of them, for example. But <clears throat> if you're good enough, you can become, like I say, which is called a tracksuit soldier. I've got two mates. One's head of. Um, snowboarding for his core and one is oh yeah that useful army fucking technique of snowboarding <laughs> yeah and so one... when the war kicks off on the Alps <laughs> um, just saying fluorescent ski gear issued with an Uzi and a snowboard take him down pure James Bond yeah um, right who can snowboard well enough five blokes in the army but there were two examples of recent times Ross Birkinshaw uh, English bantamweight champion uh, WBO Continental, I think, um, and Chris Hobbs, Southern Area Champion, uh, both of whom were listed full-time soldiers who competed in boxing. Um, I think Ross got more time dedicated to it than Chris did. Chris still had some army uh, duties to undertake, whereas Ross was far more uh, given the time dedicated to it. It depends on what regiment you're in um, and who above you in the rank structure is willing to go, yeah, right, just 
go and do what you want, mate. But, but it's a good gig, though. Like, I talked to some, some of the guys on the be, scene. Yeah. So, so like, and I've mentioned them before, guys like Chez, Elena Murphy, who's in the army, and I think she will be the female captain for the Northern Irish Commonwealth Games team. So congratulations to her on that. So they, they seem to have a good gig. Uh, friend Natty, who boxes at 91 kilos. These guys all have, like, the army guys have a good gig. I always pull them up because, and... If you've ever seen like the facilities they have, that fucking brilliant. Like I'm, I'm jealous of the facilities they have over in Aldershot. But you almost want them to evolve their style because if you've got all that time to be training, you know, let, let's have a bit more, like a bit more boxing now for my soldiers. That, I think that's probably the only thing I'd ask for because they have the platform to do it. I, look, if they gave me that facility to use for five hours a day, I'd make miracles happen in there. Okay, whilst I look into what questions to ask you to next, why don't you busy yourselves with the prospect of Dillian White, Lucas Brown? <sighs> Dillian White is a live wire. I think that's putting it nicely. Didn't he threaten the life of Lucas Brown this week? Yeah. Like, basically, if you think... He did what we do, right? Like, he made a threat, but he couched it as a question. <laughs> do you really think you can punch me in my face? In, in my, my hometown and leave alive. Yeah. And yet you've got that on the back of Hearn sacking someone off. Well, not sacking somebody off, but having a disagreement over their promotional terms um, because of a tweet sent out. Like, And then Matchroom went and highlighted this particular sentence from Dillian White. So I get that it's all the build-up. I get that Dillian White kind of has to be emotionally invested in a fight for it to mean anything to him and therefore to perform to his best. But come on, man. Like, boxing doesn't need this. Boxing doesn't need people threatening other people's lives. And we don't need it highlighted when it happens. If it happens, brush it under the carpet. Because it's just a turn of phrase. I get that. Somebody like Dillian White, maybe that's something that... I'm not saying he goes around threatening people's lives all the time, but it might be a turn of phrase. But we don't need it then repeated and repeated and repeated by the promoters and pushed out as a message. Same as when BT Sport were laughing about Billy Joe Saunders' yes. kid no, I was just about to bring kicking up, actually, Willie yeah. Monroe Jr. We didn't need that being put out because boxing comes across, it's always on the periphery of like bad behaviour and illegal behaviour. What we don't need is for like that illegal behaviour to boil over, which is what they were doing by highlighting what Dillian White said. I wasn't comfortable with it. And, and the problem I had with it was... If you're in South London, you kind of know that there are enough people, you know, it's a whole six degrees of separation whereby you're like, that could actually happen. So it, it, it was worrying in that sense. And I find it distasteful that Eddie Hearn allows himself to do this. And, and, and I'll probably come on to praise Eddie at some point today, hopefully. But when you're allowing this to happen, like, as soon as Dillian did that, Hearn should have slapped that down and gone, listen... We don't need that to sell this fight, okay? That's what he should have done. So why aren't the board reacting to this? Like, the board are happy to react to, to someone offering Conor Ben 25 grand for a fight, but they take no issue when one of their licensed fighters is threatening the life of another guy who's coming over to this country, who's fought in this country, and has put money in the, in the board's coffers. It's disgraceful. It's, it's, it's a low standard of behavior. It wouldn't... That's the sort of shit that would never be tolerated in the amateur scene. And I know people like to... <coughs> to marginalise amateur boxing. But you can tell Dillian didn't come up in that world because you, you'd never think in those terms. Because if we go back to the David Hayes severed heads thing, 
he got dragged over the coals for that, and he had to explain himself to the board over that. There's and a few things David Hayes said before. No, 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 but he didn't even say anything. Remember, he just had the T-shirt with the severed heads on. It had the two Klitschko brothers, and he was holding their oh, heads. Oh, I do remember that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and he had to explain himself <laughs> for that, because... Worked out well. Yeah, because <laughs> he should explain why the fuck he thought that was ever going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Other than what it was. So I think, I think like, look, Dillian White-Lucas Brown is a good fight. Yes. I, I, I think... If both men's stamina hold up in the second half of the fight, the first one to land a left hook ends the fight. Um, I think Lucas Brown carried himself off really, really well. He did an IFL interview with Coogan, and which I thought, you know, it made you like Lucas Brown because uh, like he's just a good guy. I know Steve Goodwin and Josh Goodwin went for dinner with him when they were down there. And said he was just a lovely guy, like really nice, likable person. Yeah, and and w- one of the interesting things I found was in that interview where Lucas asked, because I think Lucas said to Coogan, look, I'm the same way on camera as I am off camera. And he goes, what's Dillian like off camera? And Coogan said, he's the same way on camera as he is off camera. Make of that what you will. Which I found telling. And it, and it makes me wonder, like, Hearn will invest money in him, but he'll marginalise a guy like Chris Conger. I know Chris Conger is now on the card, but I think that's just more of a... It's a one-off, isn't it? Yeah, let's just draw in that South London crowd because I'm not sure it's going to sell. It's to parlay alongside Dillian White, like bring your mate. Yeah, bring your mate. Maybe we wouldn't be surprised to see someone like a Richie Riappo jump on there as well. Just like the... Bring a friend to work, yeah, though. Yeah, Miguel's versus Australia kind of thing. Eddie strikes me as a sort of bloke that likes momentum, though. He likes boxers with some... Some sort of profile. He doesn't particularly. He's not that interested in building someone's profile. He likes you need to sell some tickets. Sort of profile yeah. and use that momentum. No, so you need, for this you need to sell tickets at the O2. Like they, we've seen the Dillian White had ticket items before when he was meant to be fighting there and then couldn't, um, and they had to pull the whole show. So this time, I think they're trying to bring in a few lads alongside Dillian that can help sell tickets to that marketplace of South London. Uh, and Chris Congo's ideal for that. He doesn't sell tickets necessarily on his own, but you put him in with Dillian White on an undercard against Lucas Brown, it might bring in some more interest for him and sell more tickets. Okay. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's, it's Eddie Hearn's almost like, fuck, I have to deal with South London. I really didn't want to, but I have to. It's inside the tent pissing out rather than outside yeah. the tent pissing in, I suspect. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting one. Um, Mix and Your Tasty asks, did you hear Mike Costello attacking Parker for his off-the-cuff King of Steroids remark made um, in reference to AJ. Uh, <coughs> and would you do the same for an AJ ringside press pass? <laughs> um, no, I, I didn't hear it. I, I, I heard... I'm I, bored of Mike Costello, yes. actually. Like, you know, he tries to portray himself as the intellectual scribe of boxing. He's just a fucking donut. He's a jobber. That's all. Mike Costello's a jobber. He's a guy who's got a mortgage to See, pay and he sits there and he does all that stuff. I don't think he's as bad as Bunce for that. No, but, but Bunce is, I like Mike Costello. But Bunce I, is I, I, naked I, with it, though. Bunce is like, I'm just out for the pound notes. You give me a pound note, I'll tell you you're the greatest thing ever. Fine. <laughs> you're, you're, you want to get on Box Nation TV, give me a couple of hundred quid. Allegedly. But, <laughs> but you know, you see my point. Steve Bunce is, he, what you see is what you get with Steve Bunce. I mean, Mike Costello's there trying to be this, I mean, mate, you're not A.A. Gill, rest, God rest his soul, but you, you're a jobbing journalist who, well, athletics is just a bit shit, so you came back to boxing. Well done, mate. 
So, <laughs> so hard. So, so, so Joseph Parker <laughs> makes an so allegation. No, no. I don't agree with him, Mike, no. if you're listening. No. Joseph Parker makes an allegation about AJ. Which was, I don't even think it's an allegation. I think, you know, he got called the king of pies. Like, yeah, he's the king of steroids. And he probably just said that in the same way you just go, yeah, man, you're a dickhead. You know, he just, he yeah. just said it in response to something. <laughs> On the basis that AJ's huge. You'd the, say it to anyone. In the same the biggest way, bloke in the fucking warehouse, you'd say that to him. Yeah. You're the king of steroids. Parker gets called like the Burger King because he's not in the best shape and because his of his shows are sponsored by Burger King. And so it's a logical insult. Yeah. The reason is people know that this is cutting very, very close to the bone. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say AJ uses steroids or doesn't use steroids. I'd be happy if he failed a test for me to validate that. And if he were to ever fail a test, tune into the podcast after. (laughs) Please tell your friends, tell your family to listen to that one because that will be epic. But for now, Anthony Josh is a guy who's managed to add 30 pounds of solid muscle through (laughs) bulk powders, protein, and doing yoga. Eating chickens, except for their heads. Do, doing, doing yoga. Dipping them into his mouth and just pulling out the heads and the spine. No, literally just eating loads of Nigerian food, sitting at home, driving around in a Range Rover, singing Mary J. Blige songs. And he's managed to add 30 pounds of muscle. It's I'm, all in the jaw. I, I'm, I'm going to accept it. Like pe- People tell me that this can happen to anyone if you just train for as long as Joshua does. So, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> I, 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 feel, I, I feel like ringing Ronnie Coleman going, mate. You did it wrong for all those years. The fuck were you taking? <laughs> so, Why were you taking steroids, Ronnie Coleman? You didn't need to. More specifically on that um, Parker AJ thing, do you think that um, I just I'm interested to hear your guys' take on on whether Parker's got under AJ's skin? That's what they were talking about. No, I don't think. So. I think AJ's fairly cold. I don't think he necessarily cares. He didn't get that... Well, he did, I suppose. He got quite emotionally invested in Dillian White, and they've got a backstory. Like, Joshua and Parker don't have a backstory. They don't need a backstory. Well, it's just that Parker did that little um, press conference um, where they brought up all of AJ's knockdowns, didn't they? no, no. That was a fucking. That wasn't a press conference. That was like an amateur dramatic show. That was, that was like, but with no budget. With no budget, so they did it in the school changing rooms. And so you've got that fucking cunt, um, Dave Higgins, who looks like he's auditioning for Train Spotting Three in everything he does. I'm not taking that back. The man's an imbecile, and so like he's hosting this press conference. In, oh, in very inverted comments, because a press conference would imply that you've got some of the press there to see it. <laughs> he didn't even have that. He had the cleaner there, like trying to kick him out because it's nearly 10 o'clock at night. Yet yeah, he's arranged it for Facebook or whatever. <laughs> like it was honestly like the worst thing. So did that get, un- if that got under AJ's skin, then I'd worry about well, the mentality. Well, AJ felt the need to sort of clarify when he's been knocked down, didn't he? And, and started saying, oh, I'd just come out of a cell that night and stuff like that and gave it oxygen. That's what I couldn't really understand. Well, well no, no, I don't think he did. You know what he was trying to do? And, and, and it's this trying to, almost trying to paint this picture of, you know what, guys? Forget the corporate thing. I'm really a savage, yeah? Yeah, I didn't. Proper I was in prison. I was in jail. But I'm like, mate, you weren't in jail. You were just held overnight in a cell. Like, I've had that happen to me seven or eight times. This I'll- week. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no. He just but- won't stop exposing himself. No, but, but I did my A-level sociology literally coming out of a cell. The only thing they will kind of do is to let me revise in the cell. And so if Joshua's listening, mate, 89%. Have some of that, you mug. Do you know what I mean? So, so, 
60-40. Yeah, no, no, but we can all go out there and go, oh, it was in the cell. But the fact of the matter is, right, AJ's been dropped. He's had his ass handed to him inspired by people, and it's known. But we're okay with that because you're winning your fights, and you're winning your fights reasonably well, Anthony Joshua. Fine, yeah? David Higgins, for all of his crackhead behavior and stuff, is a really entertaining character, and I'm glad that he's a boxing promoter because... He knows. It keeps him off the streets dealing. But has anyone seen the picture of him with the, I think it's a golden eagle? No. On his arm? Why has he got a golden, <laughs> why has he got a golden eagle? Why not? That's the, has look, he got a needle in it? No. I, you know, I'm a big David Higgins fan. I'm not going to lie because you've got Joseph Parker who has all the charisma of this table I'm leaning on right now. And probably all the intellect of the pot of noodles I just had as well. And David Higgins, for all of his idiocy, is quite a smart guy. Like you can see him, you can see him in the press conference just navigating. So he anytime Hearn tried something, he just deflect what Hearn was trying to do. And I was like, he's not as stupid as he looks. Until he bottled it when Hearn said, Say to AJ what you've been no, no, saying. No, 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 no. But 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 to be fair, I thought Hearn was a bitch for doing that. Oh yeah. No, look, look, look. I'm not saying Hearn was in the right, because how many things has Hearn said about people in the past? Oh, so, that, so flesh this out. Okay, so Higgins had said the stuff about Joshua's got a glass jaw. Right. And is mentally weak. And is mentally weak. Mm-hmm. And so now they're all sat at the same table, Eddie Hearn says, Dave, do you want to say to Anthony now about him having a glass jaw oh, right. and being mentally weak? And so Higgins is like not really. If I'm, like, it's not. It's not really <laughs> worth my time and effort right now. So, what he was saying was, look, I'm not saying, <laughs> I, I'm not meaning that he's mentally weak. I just mean he's mentally weaker than Joseph Parker, which I think is a brilliant answer. And but but like, he came up with a great one afterwards. But he, where Hearn tried to stick it on him for this, for that thing again, and he goes, no, no, no. Listen, that's just the first press conference, right? And, you know, I don't want to blow my load in the first bit. I'll come back to that. Don't worry. I'll come back to it when it really matters. But the fact that we've got these two pivotal people of Hearn and Higgins sums up how exciting Parker and Joshua are outside yeah. of the ring. So uh, there was a clip or like a, a picture put out by Matchroom of Hearn and Higgins in what looked like a gloves, gloves are off, off scenario. And I thought, Jesus, has it come to that? Has it actually come to are that? Are they just going to compare who, who, who gets the cheapest rate on Rent Boys and Coke? <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But, like, that's, yeah, that's a problem. This, this is th- a problem. Who do you think, Gary? <laughs> Who wins? <laughs> I don't know. Well, well, it depends if Higgins will shag brown people in Australia or not. Depends the dictator's race. <laughs> I'm not asking you any more questions. <laughs> not even going to answer them. <laughs> but, I mean, this is the problem with the, the set of fans that Hearn has cultivated over time. Is that when you've got two incredibly boring people... Like the Joshua and Klitschko press conferences didn't set anything on fire. And so, like literally or metaphorically. And so Hearn kind of struggled to sell that. But you'd sold 90,000 seats at Wembley, so that's fine. It's getting people to tune in at home that they're trying to do. So that's why they're engaging Hearn and Higgins in this. Is that nobody over here knows who Joseph Parker is outside of legitimate boxing fans. So you'll sell 90,000 tickets, no problem. It's the pay-per-views now that they need to focus upon. So they'll be pushing Hearn and Higgins and this rivalry across Sky Sports. I'd love that road trip. Just we're going to go to every brothel between here and Cardiff and just see what we can get. How much? And and then Higgins is just there like, mate, you never get me tromboning. How much do you think Hay and Fury have um, changed the way that, say, Anthony Joshua talks or, or maybe prepared the road for... 
the way that he talks in these press conferences because they've both said things or done things that are so extreme. Do you feel like he has he has to he has to be this model model professional in Whoa. end quotes? And if he strays too far from that road, that he's going to go down the same path as them. It or... almost feels like you can't compete with them, so stick to what you're good yeah. at. Yeah, well, which makes him, so there's a Joshua for want of a better term, boring. So, so I had a heated discussion with Brooks, Brooks Streetfield about this, and she didn't get it. She really didn't get it because she, she loves AJ. But I was trying to explain, look, AJ talks about wanting to be great, right? So when you want to be great, what you don't do is drive around in a Range Rover singing Mary J. Blige songs. What you don't do is you don't Snapchat videos of 50 pairs of sunglasses, 20 pairs of shoes, and all of this stuff. You know, This isn't being humble. This isn't being great. And so Joshua's torn between this, I want to be that Watford bad boy that I used to be, but I also want to be the man that leads the world. Like, didn't he say some stupid shit like, I might get into politics one day. Uh, is, this, is this some really crappy attempt at trying to be some sort of mix between Pacquiao and Mayweather? I'm well, going no, no, no. to be the Filipino politician of the Mayweather money, money well, world. Well, no, but, but what Joshua doesn't realise is all the great heavyweight champions we liked have all been savages in their own way. Like Ali was a savage. Like you go back to the 60s and I mean like the beating he gave Ernie Terrell because Ernie Terrell was calling him the wrong name and when Floyd Patterson called him the wrong name, he's like, what's my name? Like, Ali is a savage. Tyson is a savage. Joe Frazier was a savage. Foreman <clears throat> was a savage. It's why we remember those guys. And they did dirt outside the ring as well. That's why we remember those guys. If Joshua really wants to be this Mother Teresa figure that he's setting himself up, we ain't going to care about him. Because, so, mate, I need to see you being a savage. You know? You remember that, that TV clip when Ali and Frazier are actually scuffling in the TV studio? That's what that's heavyweight boxing for us. Like we want to see the big lumps get stuck yeah, in. Yeah, like, Lewis I, I, and Tyson I get back did to it. What Martin said, but the fact that if you, there's there's a he's a, he's up against people like in that respect, Hay and Fury. How far does it take? He's not going to turn up in a Batman costume for a. Best <laughs> <guy>. <laughs> but 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 the thing about Hay is that's who David Hay actually is. So so when you hear Hay going, you're going to get knocked out. A cocky, charismatic, bit of an arsehole, but actually we can all go. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. That's that's who he is. He he didn't have to go to school. He didn't need years of GB media training to be the way he is. He didn't need Rob McCracken doing all of that. He didn't need Rob McCracken giving him a sponsored car so he, he could transport certain things around London, you know, namely himself. <laughs> but hey, David Hay didn't need that, right? Tyson Fury, they wouldn't give it to him. So he made his own rules up. Joshua is, we've said it before, Joshua's like an NBA project, isn't he? We're just going to take a big lump, right? And we're going to turn him into a revenue-generating product. And I'm sure there are going to be some kids presenting this back at London Business School in 2019 going, look at what we did. And they'll be, well done, well done, well done, well done. In magna cum laude. It's like he's trying laude. to find an identity, struggling to find this identity. How can you, fucking hell, you've got a mirror. Like, like, look, look at you. That's who you are, mate. Like, you, you shouldn't struggle for an identity. You're, you're world champion. Just be yourself. <laughs> what I'm trying to get at is, if you think Fury, you think crazy. If you think Hay, you think charismatic. You think AJ, you think humble. It's not exactly snazzy, is it? Like, well, I don't even think that. I just think, grow up, mate. Like, you're a multimillionaire. I want to see you just jumping in a massive pool in a massive house maybe some ladies just chilling on sun lounges so i want to see you want that to watch because... aj in a soft porn flick 
That <laughs> you're onto something here, mate. You're onto something here with Khan's wife. Oh wow, AJ BJ was Sp- produced by Matchroom Films, keeping it in the family. <laughs> AJ BJ featuring CJ Ross. That'd be amazing. Just getting the score wrong as he's smashing her. <laughs> Okay, um, Oxy's, uh, Ollie's boxing handle says people complain about casual fans hyping up AJ too much but do any members of the pod think Fury still gets away with too much praise from hardcore in, in inverted commas fans for what is essentially one good win and out of interest does the pod think that he would have won a Vlad rematch okay, so there's two questions there really but yes he does get too much praise I mean we it's almost like um it's like he's been taken from us too soon. Like you married somebody who's died and then like, you're always going to have that memory of how brilliant they were and they never went downhill. And so you've always got that like frozen in time. Yeah. So they're the panacea and and it it embellishes over time. Yeah. And so like, you're always going to remember the, with fondness, how great that night in Hamburg was when he won. And so therefore that's the beauty of Tyson Fury. You, you, we haven't seen anything post that to it, say, rem- actually, it wasn't as brilliant or he wasn't as brilliant or he can't reproduce that. That, that term they use a footballer sometimes, it gets better with every game he doesn't play. Yes. Wilshire. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, we, I think that's right. And Joshua, I was messaging somebody about this the other day, but, like... Was it Joshua? <laughs> um, and so people, as Brits, we dislike people when they become more successful. It's just, it's ingrained within us. Like Andy Murray, people hate Andy Murray. Why? I I don't know, really. He's Scottish, he's a bit boring, and he's very, very successful and very good at what he does. Like, yeah, we love Tim Henman because he tried really hard, but he never quite achieved it. Like, if you ask... his dad looked like George W. Bush. (laughs) But if you ask the British public, like, who's more beloved out of Frank Bruno and Anthony Joshua... It's always going to be Bruno. And yet from a sporting perspective of who's now achieved more within their careers, it's Anthony Joshua. No. It is. No. If you look at it on paper as what oh, are their sporting go. achievements? No. Frank Bruno's fought far better people than Anthony Joshua. No, everywhere. I'm not saying he hasn't. I'm saying and, if you look no, at it on paper. But that's what I mean about, I think people, I think, and I castigate people over this. Like, I think when you grow up in a certain generation, you can hang on to that what's in close proximity to you. But Frank Bruno, when he was coming up, they were matching him hard. And he, he endured a lot of setbacks. But I think I wrote this in one of the things I said about Frank Bruno. The guys Frank Bruno lost to, if there hadn't been a Mike Tyson, we'd be calling them potential greats. That's, that's the way I look at it. Frank Bruno lost to a lot of guys who were really fucking good. Joshua hasn't fought that caliber of opponent yet. Only Vladimir Klitschko for me is a guy that could have gone into the 80s and been competitive. That's probably the only thing I'd say. But in terms of, if you said he took ages to win a world title, he won a world title quite quickly, yes. In terms of that sort of big bang factor, Joshua outweighs Bruno. But legacy-wise, I find it hard. I, I couldn't justify would, that. Would he have won the Vlad rematch? Tyson Fury. Would AJ? Uh, I don't know, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think it means would, would uh, Fury have. Oh, so, yeah, okay, right. So, so I'm sympathetic to the view that says we overstate what Fury did. And I think even Fury accepts it's going to take more than what he had against Vladimir to beat AJ. So I have a theory that goes, when he gets down to about 21 stone, Ben Davison might hand him over to Dominic Ingle. 
and you will see a lot of the changes in Tyson Fury that you saw in Billy Joe Saunders. And the reason I say that is, just from what I'm hearing in my network, there's an acceptance Tyson Fury doesn't punch hard enough to beat Anthony Joshua right now. And all that boxing movement he does isn't going to stop that. Because when he had the sparring session with Daniel Dubois, it was a reminder that there are young, hungry heavyweights who are quick. And yes, you've got skills, and yes, you've got timing and experience, but you're going to need something to keep him back. So I'd expect Tyson to be working on being more explosive, more powerful, stronger, and all those sorts of things. Because he's going to have to compensate for not being the 27-year-old guy that he was. So I think we can expect to see that change. But I think Fury's got it all to prove again. That's how I look at it. Uh, Damien Taylor asks, as Fury's comeback becomes more of reality, will focus and discipline be further compromised without his <coughs> uncle training him? Will he just want to do his own thing in training camp? Um, I have a real issue with his new trainer. So he's paired up with this geezer from MTK. Uh, for the life of me, I can't remember what his name is. Is it Dan? Dan someone or other? Um, guy that took Billy Joe Saunders. Ben Davison. Uh, ben Davison, that's it. Guy that took uh, Billy Joe Saunders when he fought up in Paisley Leisure Centre. And Billy Joe Saunders was lucky to walk away with his title that night. Ben Davison, we don't know anything about, particularly as a trainer as such. He's taken on Billy Joe Saunders for that. And now Tyson Fury's gone to him. If the version that we saw of Billy Joe Saunders that night is indicative of anything we're going to get out of Tyson Fury, then I think we should be concerned as boxing fans as to what Tyson Fury is going to turn up. Um, because why would Tyson Fury respect Ben Davison? Why would he do what Ben tells him to do? Why would he be paying any credence to the technical work, the fitness? Well, if he tells Tyson to go out, get running at four o'clock in the morning to get that weight off, where's the respect for it? You know, when Peter Fury told him to do it, I'm sure there was a respect as an uncle and as a trainer, but now I'm not sure you're going to get that with Ben Davison. I don't even see why he would respect him. To what? be fair, when, when Peter Fury told Tyson to run, even I ran. <laughs> what, what do you think? I realize this is very sort of hypothetical. What, what do you think are the sort of things that would impress or make Tyson Fury respect you? I don't think that him giving him qualifications that he's achieved would, him, would make Fury... So even if he was the most qualified nutritionist or whatever in the world, dietitian, weight loss trainer in the world, that wouldn't, I can't see that getting ground with Fury. So... so what so, would make Fury respect you let's, as a trainer? Let's turn the story around. You're a 26 stone man, right? Do you want to be running up and down sand dunes in Morecambe with Savannah Marshall on your back? You probably wouldn't want to do that. So I think the inherent problem you then have is you have a training regime that Peter Fury does that gets you bang ready to fight. So you're fit enough to fight over the story Huey Fury. It's just that it's a heavy price to pay on the body. And as a 27 or 26 stone man, I don't believe Tyson is up to that yet. So probably that's why he's not working with Peter. But I also think Tyson needs new ideas before he starts fighting the likes of Joshua. Because by the time Joshua does fight Fury, he'd have, they'd have studied every one of Fury's fights. So if Fury doesn't have new habits or new ways of doing things, there's no surprise factor for Joshua. And I think one of the key things in upsetting Joshua's rhythm is the surprise factor. So that, that's, that, that's how I'd look at it. Um, will he ever work with Peter again? I think he, needs, he probably needs a year and a half, two years away, just for some new ideas, some new stimuli, and then eventually reunite with Peter Fury. Because 
who do you really trust in the corner under pressure when your whole legacy is on the line? It's, it's probably your uncle. Uh, Danny Watley asks, um, the pod, can you give your thoughts on Hennessy this week? Sounds like he's suing Fury or claiming he needs to stay with him. Thanks. Um, okay, so hypothesizing at the moment, this is not factual. So I issue that disclaimer. <laughs> genuinely, genuinely for once. Yeah. No, no. Well, because you'll understand why. If Tyson's gone over to MTK, then there's obviously a situation where it's like, well, what happened to Mick Hennessy? What was he looked after as part of that process? I don't know. If if he had something in his contract that meant he had to be looked after, then he probably has a valid claim. I would imagine that's the least of Mick Hennessy's worries at the moment. You know, when you remortgage your house to pay Joseph Parker to come over here, you incur those costs. That's your biggest worry. How are you going to keep a roof over your head? He's, look, Mick Hennessy's a dinosaur in a sport. And this is what I'm going to give Eddie Hearn credit, actually. He did a, I don't know if anyone caught the IFL interview he did on the train. Okay, cool. So he no, does, no, I didn't see it. No, he does a 50-minute interview on the train with Coogan. And it was less about the the bullshit he normally talks about. And actually, he gives a 10-minute overview of how he got to be the Eddie Hearn we know now. And he was talking about, and, you know, take it with a pinch of salt, being a 13-year-old kid selling windows, 15, I think, selling windows for... Windows what, in his shield. private schooling? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, okay, all right then, Eddie. I'm no. sure that happened. No, but then, but then, but then, you know, he talks about from look, his millionaire dad. Yeah. I'm sure he was out selling fucking double glazing. I think it was just Working on the phone. For window, <laughs> absolute garbage. Windshield. I think it was called whatever it was called. But but no. So he's giving the story about this is how I came up. <laughs> no, wait, wait, oh, oh, no, whether it's true or not, I don't know. But but one thing I will say is, could he fly in the story as well? <laughs> hmm? Could he fly in the story as well? It's about as believable. Well, yeah, he's he's having a final eliminator to determine if he can. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no. So, so when you're listening to, to, to the Hearn story and I'm like, give the guy his due, because in our heads, we probably just think he turned 16 and Barry was like, there you go, mate, you go and do this. And <clears throat> so what he was saying was he didn't really get back into boxing until he met Audley Harrison at the poker. And then he was like, I think we could do something with you. Fair enough. You managed to, to weasel uh, a Harrison Hay fight. And, you know, I remember part of that because... When they were looking for someone to train, they came down to Fitzroy Lodge and said, can Audley train here? And it's like, well, what the fuck are we going to do with the people who regularly train here? So we offered them a school called Lillian Bayless down the road. And they were going to take that. Don't know why they never took it in the end. But that's, that's almost like the first encounter with Eddie Hearn. So that's how far back that goes. But when you're, when you're around someone like Eddie Hearn, he gets it. And he gets it in a way guys like Mick Hennessy and Frank Warren don't anymore. Like... I don't want to be in a smoky room full of football hooligans smoking cigars and wanking behind the woman in front of them. Right? I don't want to be at those kinds of shows. I don't want to be at shows where I feel like the National Front are coming back. I don't want to be at those sorts of shows. I don't want to be at those shows and they go, it's got that real old school feel. I don't. And Hearn was the first promoter in this country to really grasp that and go, what's the new model? Because... <clears throat> Because there's rumours that he's going to get into rugby league. And I think rugby league's stuck in that sort of rut as well. And imagine he was able to flip rugby league into a sport that other people watched. And, and so, so Hennessy's bet the house on that he knows the game well enough. But he's screwed up enough careers in his life that we now realise that it was a matter of time before he ended up with no money. So what he now does is he tries to wind up, I think it's Hennessy Sports he's tried to wind up. And someone's objected by going, no, 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 no. 
I'm still owed money, I imagine is the objection. I'm still owed money and he is trying to close the company to escape paying a debt. So I imagine that there'll be some court case around that to establish the facts. But then it begs the question of, what's he winding it up to do next? Because Hennessy strikes me as a sort of knucklehead who will keep trying his promotional game till he's 85. I know nothing of what comes next, but I wouldn't be surprised if he popped up somewhere because he's that sort of guy who who will weasel his way in. You know what? And I know Martin's going to get pissed off at me saying this, but I have to say it, ladies and gentlemen. I can see Mick Hennessy popping up as you're dialing through your channel. I can see him talking to fucking Poxon and getting some kind of shitty spot on ITV4. You know, I can genuinely see that happening. But for a record, we're a year into the Poxon era. <laughs> What's he achieved? <laughs> no, but look, as for Hennessy, honestly, he's washed up, he's done and he's finished. And if he had any honour, he'd just discharge everyone from their contracts and go, go with someone who will make you a fortune because I can't do it. Right, I'm going to go through a few questions now, just quick, quick fire. Um, whichever one of you answers first, just... Well, I don't just get for him. I'm sure you can fit a, do the rest of it. Uh, Brian N asks, who do you think would be a reasonable opponent for Amir Khan's comeback? I think we hit this last week. Adrian Granados would be perfectly fine. Jesse Vargas is tied up. Um, Timothy Bradley, bring him over. We'd all be fine. Whether we'll get any of them, I'm not sure. It'd probably be the European champion. Let's find out. Is that Mamoon, whoever his name yeah. is? Yeah. Great. Andy Scott asks, is Usyk capable of unifying the heavyweight division? Which no. is one of those questions that you'd taken a few leaps for. <laughs> Absolutely not. Too small. They're guys that, are, they're guys that have life-changing power. He has no business doing that. Okay. Uh, Walker asks, I'm sure we'll go over it, but can you justify the Murray title shot considering Oh, can, we, can we have a longer period? Okay. okay let's skip. <laughs> I want to go in on that. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. One. I'll skip that one. I'll no, ask at the end. No, no, wait, wait, wait. Right. If you're a lawyer of any description, <laughs> get your pen turn it off. Already. No, turn the podcast off <laughs> now. Okay. The Boxing Man Man asks, is the price Povetkin fight a very risky last throw of the day? Dice by price? Right. No. It's not even a last throw of the dice. It's not very risky. There is fucking no point in David Price taking this fight. It's the t- Whoever's advising David Price, and I know who it is, but I'm not going to go into that. They should be saying... <laughs> They're good advisors, though. Very good advisors. The best in the business, apart from in this scenario. Um, <laughs> they ought to be... Honestly, like, there is no explanation for David Price even contemplating fighting Alexander Povetkin. David Price, when we saw him bent over the ropes against Christian Hammer, as Terry put him like a giraffe at the watering hole, when we saw that, they should have said, David, it's over. There's no more. There's nothing left. Instead, he changes trainer. He goes to Derry Matthews. We see him down at the Brentwood Centre in Essex fighting uh, Sokolowski over a six-rounder. A six-rounder. This is David Price, the man who was, like, according to Tony Bellew, he was the heir to the Klitschko throw. Like, shut up, Bellew. No, he's not. And he never has been. And this is David Price, who people feared was, like, a world-beater. And we see him in a six-rounder against Sokolowski, where he gasses at, like, round four. So you get two rounds of David Price just hanging on to a journeyman. A journeyman. And so what has changed from that performance that tells us he can beat Alexander Povetkin? So it's not a last throw of the dice, because a last throw of the dice implies that there's a chance that he could win it. 
and I've, I'm sick to death. I've seen people saying like, oh, all he's got is a puncher's chance. No, he hasn't. Because to have a puncher's chance, he'd have to have the confidence to throw that right hand. And he hasn't. That's gone. It's It's gone. The dream's over, David. Like, hang it up. And because your advisors won't tell you, I'll tell you. Hang them up, David. And it's not being horrible. It's not trolling anyone. It's not saying that he's had a shit career. He's been a British champ. Fair play. He's done some great things. But it's over. He should not be in a ring with Alexander Povetkin. If this happens on the Anthony Joshua Joseph Parker undercard, don't anyone ever tell me that he's got a chance of winning it because he hasn't got a puncher chance. He's not got a fucking hope in hell. Like it's a disgrace that it's even being contemplated. But but you know what happened, right? They have to build Povetkin because Josh is fighting Povetkin. Absolutely. So they, they were like, so they need an opponent. They just needed a body. It's the old Don King thing of you know just just resurrect him, dig him out the grave, put him up in front of. Povetkin to look good, couple of left hooks, knock Price out, and people go, my God, he knocked out David Price, the same David Price you guys said knocked over Joshua. You, you know when you get that that bullshit, that, that's when Hearn turns into penis, full-on penis mode. You know, in the same way that um, Audley Harrison was pulled out for Deontay Wilder to knock out over in Sheffield, and like people go, ah, oh, but he's knocked out Audley Harrison in seconds. Like, Povetkin will knock out David Price, and it could be quite bad. And Povetkin is a drugs cheat. That's proven. He's been a drugs cheat twice. He's been caught for it. That's not slander. That's not anything about that. He's twice been caught for drug taking. What's to say he's clean now? I don't know. Like, will he go for the testing? Probably. Will he pass it? Probably. But he's failed two drugs tests. David Price, in the past, has tweeted about people who have failed drugs tests should not be allowed into the sport. They should be banned for life, blah, blah, blah. As soon as there's a paycheck on offer, David Price loses those morals, <laughs> signs up to fight because he's on the undercard of a Joshua Parker fight, and takes that opportunity. Like, if he's that moralistic about it, don't take this fight because Povetkin's failed two drugs tests. He's going to get his ass handed to him by somebody who's failed two drugs and tests. I don't want to hear that, oh, he was probably juicing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want to hear that after the fight. I don't know if you guys caught the IFL interview with, it was Johnny Nelson and Dave Caldwell. They were discussing doping. And I'm going to give Dave Caldwell his due. Like, he has a very firm line on doping that, nah, we, we don't want it in the sport. It's best if, if, you do, if you're doping, just get out of the sport. Johnny Nelson. Of... <laughs> There he is. He's coming. I can see the volcano erupting. Johnny Nelson might be the stupidest person in boxing. Like, like, that's a, like that's honestly, a big like, call. That like, is a big call. Like, 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 like special needs type bad because this is the, this is Johnny Nelson for you. No, no, honestly, this, Harsh. no, no. But, but based on this quote, Johnny Nelson goes, "I beat a guy that I knew was taking drugs. Therefore, for me, drugs don't work." And Isn't I was like, Richard Ashcroft. Probably. I was listening to the verb this morning, the sonnet. Great song. It is cheesy, amazing. but you know, you can just listen to it when you don't want to do anything. But no, so, so I'm there going, so so Johnny Nelson's like, drugs don't work. And there are thousands they of scientists. They just make things worse. And I know I'll see your face again. <laughs> but then I'm like, so why doesn't Johnny Nelson go and stand in front of a room full of scientists and go, actually, steroids don't work. Doping doesn't work because I beat a guy that was on drugs. I and all the scientists would just be like, ah, oh, fuck, 20 years of research all out the window. And the, <laughs> Ru the Russians would be like, Dimitri, this is where we're going wrong. It's, it's uneducation. It's, it's poor education. It's being uneducated in the subject. That's what it is. It is. And, and, and at no point could Johnny concede that if you're 
found to be doping in a sport like boxing, it is dangerous and you should be banned. He couldn't find his way to doing that because he was like, oh, well, Dillian got banned for just taking Jack 3D. Not understanding the rules. So doping is a strict liability offense. If you have it in you, you failed. It doesn't matter what you intended to do. If you have it in you, you're guilty. In the same way that if you pollute a river, whether it's because you took a shit or whether it's because you let all the effluent come out of your factory, you're equally guilty because it's not about intentions, it's about what you did. And uh, credit to Dave Caldwell for standing up for what's right. And Johnny Nelson, man, just being a company rat again. Just just can't accept... Why? Well, what's okay? So what's the difference between him just taking a dollar bill and just cha- and just deciding to be the company man and uh, Mr. Bunce that you were defending earlier, who is uh, apparently it's co- is okay because he's transparent about Bunce it. Bunce is naked with it, though. Like So so you know... <clears throat> but what was Johnny well, Nelson? Well, jo- well, different- well no, because... Look, here's an example. Like, you, you can go through Johnny Nelson's Twitter history, right? Whenever a fight's announced, he will say something. Like, like jo- Joshua Takam was announced. And it's like, yeah, this is a really hard fight. Like, Takam's been training for this for about five years. And you're like, Johnny, what? I'm going to give the other side to this very, very quickly. I'm not going to defend Johnny Nelson for some of the stupid comments. Like, when he tried to make out Kel Brook was going to beat um, Golovkin. Gendi Golovkin. But so did Spencer Let's not <clears> forget that. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why. Um... <laughs> for Johnny Nelson Spencer X he's like, he's, like, he's like the inverse of the Australians isn't he <laughs> for Johnny Nelson from what I understand Johnny Nelson you know he only has the one income in life which is through Sky he gives a lot of his income into supporting Brendan Ingle Brendan Ingle who has some illnesses and needs a lot of support in his life now from what I understand Johnny Nelson who was trained by Ingle uh, has a lot of close personal connections to him has the money from Sky and gives an awful lot of that income to the Ingles in terms of supporting Brendan as he kind of heads towards the exit door, essentially. Um, What's Dominic doing? Who gives a fuck? Like, well, look at him. I've got to, <laughs> I can take a few guesses of what no, he's no, doing. Uh, but I, I can't answer that. What I can answer is, from what I understand, Johnny Nelson, yes, he's a company man. Yes, he'll say anything that Sky tell him to say. But from what I understand, that income that he's getting from selling his soul for doing that is actually going to a really good place. Yeah, but it's going to a place where I'm like, Dom, you're getting a tenth of what Kel Brook makes, a tenth of what Billy Joe makes. Like, you ain't got a few shekels for, you know. Right, I can't justify that. All I'm doing is justifying the, you... the stupidity of Johnny Nelson. No, no, come on, man. Like, you know, I, I can't. Uh, you know, there, there's certain things I could tolerate, right? Because J- Johnny Nelson could work anyway. And from what I know is... He, he's but where's a, he going to get what, the Sky money? But he's okay for money. Because he, he, he made okay money. Now, one of the things people don't realise is Naz made sure Johnny got the right sort of checks. Johnny Nelson was well paid for what he was in his career. He he has no mortgage. He has nothing he needs to pay for. Johnny Nelson... I'm not sure we can say that 100%. No, you, you can't yeah. say Johnny Nelson definitely has no mortgage. I can. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He's got no, his no, wallet no, no, here. No, no, I can. He must have checked his account. Well, you know, he hasn't moved house in the last six months to a bigger house where he took out a mortgage. Okay, I can take you to his house if you want. And show me his mortgage papers. No, we'll just go there and go, look, this is the house he's, he, he paid it off all those years ago. Johnny Nelson's been comfortable for a while. because Sounds like a lot of conjecture. He, no, no, it, that's actually true. So Johnny Nelson's comfortable and he's been comfortable for a while, mainly because he's frugal with money. So he earned a lot of good money fighting on Naz undercards and Naz looked after him. And he's okay. And I'm not saying that he shouldn't give his money to Ingle. By all means, do so. Because 
we all have a lot of time for Brendan Ingle. Anyone that's met him knows he's a good man. I'd be questioning where everyone else is. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So, so for me, that's my question. Where's Dom? Where's Rosie? Where's fucking... Where are all those guys that ate well? Even the people who came in and then want to take it over and go, what are people doing for Harold Graham? Like, there is no Ingle Gym without Harold Graham. So I want these same guys who are put, put money up. Like, make sure Harold Graham's looked after. And his wife. Because for me, Harold Graham's a guy that if we'd used him properly, British boxing would be a lot closer to the Americans in terms of could we beat Americans consistently on their patch? Yes. Because I can remember I was at the Harringay Box Cup and I got to spend half an hour. Um, part of it was with Chris Eubank Sr., but mostly with Harold Graham. And he was talking about like the stuff he used to do. And you're thinking, I don't know where you figured most of this stuff out, mate, but no one teaches this stuff anymore. And I'm always, it always hurts me that no one has ever given Harold Graham that platform. And you know, I've said the same thing about Gary Logan, where I'm like, we run off to these young Instagram coaches, right? They might have gyms in Northwest London, wherever it is. And because you've got promoters and friends, you've got fighters in your stable. But actually, you're not that great. And why are you not that great? Because we've never seen you produce anything. This is a massive gamble. Kids are gambling their careers that you're any good. Gary Logan is already proven. For me, Harold Graham is already proven. I remember he used to train us in Ponds Forge when I was a student. These men are proven. And this is what I mean about boxing being fucked up sometimes. The people who deserve a legacy don't get one, you know? Can you imagine Alan Shearer not being on Match of the Day and we're talking about Alan Shearer being destitute? No, you couldn't because football looks after its own really well. Uh, maybe. In, in a lot <clears throat> of cases. So, so th- in some cases. The, the creme de la creme get looked after. Gaza? Come on. <laughs> Come on, man. There, there is Come a limit on, to how... You, do you know what I think? There's only so much you can help poor Gascon, <sighs> right? I, well, I, to be fair, I don't know how much he gets looked so, after. The PFA... Well, exactly. PFA, so he's done the sporting chance thing numerous times. Um, I remember Tony Adams talking about this in an interview. He's like, Gaza's been through everything. It's, do you know there are some people where they just seek out that cliff because they want to jump over it. I think that's the problem with Gaza. The problem with Gaza isn't that no one will help him. If Gaza was clean and said, I need money, there'd be a testimonial game organized for him in a heartbeat. But what I'm saying is at that top level, those guys all looked after. Gary Lineker looked after. Shearer looked after. Rude Hullet, who jerked about like probably every club in this country, is still looked after. Fuck, we even let Sadov come here and make a few quid. <laughs> so boxing doesn't do that. And when you, when you don't do that, and the Americans do it. So if you're an old boxer and you know your stuff, you find somewhere in a gym and people will have you close by. You might be a cuts man or an advisor to a young coach. And we don't do that here. And that's why our knowledge transfer is uh, crap. And that's why our boxing standard is generally shit. I can't actually remember where that spawned from. I think it was a Price Perfectkin fight question. <laughs> but, um, Stephen Mock asks, where does Bellew go if he beats Hay? Is there any realistic Hell? chance he would fight Fury, given he has already said nah. Wilder is too big? <clears throat> He's going to retire. If he, gets, if, he, if he loses this fight, he'll retire. If, if he, he wins this fight, he'll retire. If he wins, it could, it could conceivably be a warm-up fight for Fury, couldn't he? Uh, like, they'll try and sell it. Could they not try and sell it? <laughs> no, I mean, certainly if Fury's going to end up with Warren, it's not a big enough fight that you will cross those those right. divides between Hearn and Warren. 
I can see him having one more fight after this just to cash out, just to really... And I don't know what that's that going to be. if he wins or regardless of whether he wins or loses? Uh, regardless of if he wins or loses. I can see the Parker fight happening. Like, I don't... I can see something happening for him whereby he'll get another paycheck before before he calls it a day. He's like I don't a, know what that'll like be. A, all right, maybe I'm being a, a bit strong here, but he feels like a soft option for a heavyweight to have a fight against. Oh, 100%. No, 100%. <laughs> He is. But, but, but you should have seen Martin's eyes. But, Listeners, you should have seen Martin's eyes. <laughs> he's almost incredulous with rage at the fact that I'd even bothered to try and qualify that statement. Like, But listen, <laughs> right? If you've got a few quid, just put it on Bellew to win if the fight happens. I'd actually even put more money on, the, on whether the fight will happen or not. That's a more interesting bet. Yeah? That, all I'll say is May 5th, I'd probably buy tickets on the day, is my tip. Uh, YouTube scientists ask, will there be... A male to female trans boxer eventually in women's boxing. Yes. And if so, should there be a maximum weight in the heavyweight division? Well, look, if people track me on Twitter, I have this conversation all the time about, you know, how can you allow men transitioning into women to participate? And normally my, my flip argument is, would I take someone who was born XX female transitioning into being a man and let them box in any weight class? Fuck no. I wouldn't. It's the closest thing to death that you could probably anticipate live on TV. But women, men transitioning, so XY men transitioning into women is a big risk. And as Ronda Rousey said, you've probably already gone through puberty. So you've already gained that advantage in size, bone density, muscle density, um, tendon size, ligament size, and strength, all these advantages you have that n- science can't prove roll back. You can lose muscle mass, but you don't lose contractile strength. And that's one of the important things in boxing is how powerfully can you contract in any given weight class? So it's a dangerous precedent to start. And I know if you ask female boxers, would they want trans women involved? They would probably say no. Well, it's off the back of the MMA fighter, isn't it? Who offered uh, Fallon, um, Fox. Fallon Fox. And there was a, a male MMA fighter who said he'd take great pleasure in um, basically hammering this uh, Fallon Fox, who used to be a man and is now a woman fighting other female yeah, MMA like fighters. Yeah. And like basically the transgender society and community coming out and saying, like, this is terrible. Um, will we see it in boxing? Yeah, probably at some point because somebody will make some money out of it. There's money in the pink pound and there's money in like that LGBT community. Like somebody will cash in on it at some point. That's incredibly cynical, Martin. Yeah. But it's all right because you're transparent about it. <laughs> <laughs> he says, side-eyeing Terry. Aaron Lincoln asks, Terry, you've been appointed the new matchroom head of boxing <laughs> who you would you <laughs> who would you sign realistically frank warren pro and am to beef up the matchroom stable francis warren who would you who would you sign to beef up the stable essentially and would you do you have a, a concept that could compete with prize fighter um yeah that sort of situation yeah so sorry guys andy's just lost a bit of steam he got the text where he's required I mean, it's time. Yeah, the prime stallion is required. <laughs> there you go. I've come to fix your. Fridge. Is she in uh, peak fermenting time? Fermenting. Fermenting. <laughs> I think there's tablets for that, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
I've you're, come you're, to fix a pool. I don't have a pool. You're fucked if she listens. You know that, don't you? You're fucked if she listens. Which one are we on about, by the way? No one's going to... No one... <laughs> well, now I am. <laughs> oh, the one that just walked out when we came in. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great school ground insult. Whose knickers were these on the side when I came in, mate? Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway, oh. don't worry about my love life. Too late. Uh, my monogamous love life, I'd like to add. Um, <laughs> we, you're Gallagher. You're the, head of, an you're the head of matchroom boxing. So, yes. so score some coke, get some hookers. Then, no, Terry, about boxing. We need to talk about boxing. Do you know what? Hand on heart. I know this sounds messed up, but if you could, you sign Joseph Parker. If I was Hearn, I'd just lock down all the heavyweights now. Sign Wilder because he's not going anywhere. But in terms of the UK, you'd just sign Josh Taylor. You'd break the bank to sign Josh Taylor. Why? That's the end of Cyclone. right? So you've got them out of the way. And then who else would you take? Because you, you, you really want to take out your promotion. So you'd, you'd break the bank for Billy Joe, I think. You've broken the bank twice, right? Well, it's worth it, though, because now you've got... Once you do this, you've effectively got no competition for at least four or five years. Because you're just looking for the anchor talents. Um, if you're looking in the amateurs, pickings are really slim right now. There isn't, <clears throat> there isn't anyone where you're like, they're an absolute outstanding talent. There's a kid called Louis Lin who boxes out of Repton who who might do something. He, he, he looks the part. But outside of someone like a Louis Lin, you're really struggling to find someone who's got... what. The key components of being successful in the pro, number one, you've got to be able to punch reasonably hard. Number two, you've got to be able to actually box as a technician. And number three, you've got to have a mindset of a champion from day one. And it's very hard to find that in the amateurs right now because a lot of kids went pro, probably went pro too early. So they're going to have to learn the hard way on the job. <clears throat> um, that's probably what I do as head of boxing. I would keep it relatively simple because you only really need three or four key talents that, that just sit behind your established pay-per-view stars. And, you know, like if you look at Parker, Parker isn't really going anywhere after Joshua and his his market base will still be the United Kingdom because, number one, we've got Brits here who understand boxing and then you've got Kiwis and Aussies here anyway. So you can make fights with Lucas Brown, for example. And then Josh Taylor, I just think, is as gold-plated a talent as you'd want to have. You might... Actually, shit, sorry. You might try a curveball and actually find these guys like John Joe Nevins and Fred Evans. John Joe Nevin and Fred Evans and whack them in a in an environment where they can learn you know one last thing god I'm bored of this question sorry but <laughs> I, I do I, I want to get into this Billy Joe Saunders one sorry so so forgive me for this but I'd also set up a satellite relationship with is it Patricia Ruby I want to say it the guy that trains Luke Campbell at the moment I'd send all of my signings to him for like nine months let them learn the right way. Like, like, you know how Hay does it with Salas, where Hay fighters all get Salas time. And what that means is at least you know there's a certain level of training going. You can't keep sending them to these dead-end gyms and these dead-end trainers where you learn fuck all. Um, just before we get on to Bill Joe Saunders, just to slightly go backwards. No. Uh, more, it's just more of a, uh, a shout-out to Dumps, who asks, would Povetkin... Luton! 
Would Povetkin versus Price be the dullest heavyweight fight since Harrison versus <coughs> Williams? Also, does Price win hypocrite cunt of the year for taking the fight considering <laughs> his past statements on PED cheats? If the fight is confirmed. Oh, it's not going to be dull because it's going to involve one man... Getting pasted. Yeah, exactly. Like, So it's not necessarily going to be that dull. It'll be... Uh, I don't want to see it still. The, the, the bit you, the bit, the bit you want to see is when, is when that punch connects and all of Price's limbs just start... Just you know the super slow mo replay. That's the bit I just want to watch over and over just again. Or everything goes in a different direction at the same time, and he looks like he's doing the Bee Gees dance. I'm looking forward to that moment. What the same one that he did against Tony Thompson? <laughs> <laughs> or 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 Povetkin just leaves him slumped on the ropes, and no one can lift him off. <laughs> it's oh fucking hell! And you just got to leave him there till he, till he comes to, and it's just there at two in the morning, and he gets up, and there's just no one there. Or just see them creating like some form of lever over the top of like the Millennium, whatever it is, down in Cardiff, um, the Millennium Stadium. Just some form of winch and pulley system, just to get him, get it off the roof. <laughs> like forty thousand people having to hang on to this rope just to get Price off. That's what I want to see. Or the other one, it's just a steel cage. You just imagine that, do it in a steel cage. Oh fucking hell, man! I look. Um, just touching on some of those issues. Is Price a hypocrite? Most boxers are, right? If the check's big enough, anything goes. That's that's how boxers think. And everyone around boxing, by the sounds of things. Yeah, it's a, it's a dirty game. It's a horrible game. And I never understand why people get so hypocritical. Like, example. Just the record, if the check's big enough, we're happy to say anything on this podcast. 100%. We, don't, we, do, we do that for free. <laughs> I will endorse anything for the right money. Yeah. But, but and it's pretty low. That Even a Frank Warren Untouchables card. <laughs> a great card. Uh, um, not yet, it's not. We're waiting for the check to turn up. No, no, it is a great card. Like, Anthony Yard, probably hardest oh, fight he could to, have. He's got to Terry already. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's great. At the yard, mate. Like this fight here will define him as probably the best in Britain. <laughs> like, I've never I, look. Let's be realistic. How right? much have I paid you, <sighs> No, but but th- this will be the third in the trilogy of fights that says Anthony Yard is probably four years ahead of Frank Bulbioni. Well, he's already game. number five in the world, isn't he? Number four, number three. What hour is it? Maybe not, number two, not, given not, that we're recording a bit later. Not by accident. No, no, by design. Like, who would have thought Bullioni running away from someone would elevate their oh, rankings? Oh, not this again. Oh, this comes up later anyway. Fucking David oh. McGinley. I'm going to rescind his VIP status <laughs> for what he sent me. <laughs> I was expecting you to can- continue that. So we've had a brief pause and I was had a Terry humming Eye of a Tiger. As so he's are ready. we coming back in just to you laughing like a maniac? Yeah, well, <laughs> I explained that. I was, All right, fair I was enough. Having a little pause, right? Good. I was watching your hand, man. You can't. You can't. Oh, yeah. you, you snaked Dan. me earlier today, man. Dan, Dan, Dan. Oh, um, yeah. So the moment that perhaps you've been waiting for, but certainly these two have, is their chance to basically mug off Martin Murray, I suppose. So Walker asks, I'm sure we'll go over it, but can you justify the Murray title shot considering the other's unavailability? And there was another question which I mentioned earlier, but I can't find it. So thank you for sending it in. Here you go. Here's Martin and Terry ripping the shit out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Can you justify it? Man, I looked the other day because I thought maybe this is one of those oddities whereby Martin Murray wasn't in the top 15 of the WBO and then landed there magically one month. (laughs) But it isn't. Like He's been in that WBO top 15 for a long period of time, which is madness. Like Martin Murray 
as a middleweight is terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and I don't mean that as like, <laughs> why could you possibly mean it? Where is there any ambiguity in that statement? No, what I was going to say is I don't mean it in like, um, oh, I'm joking way. I mean it seriously. Like, there is nothing about Martin Murray. I've got his box rec record in front of me, right? Just to clarify on this. He fought Arthur Abraham, November 2015, for a world title, lost. And then he fought Cedric Spearer. That was up in Leeds. So if you remember, he was a guy that fell down about every 18 seconds. Down to his knee. Yeah, came right. down to is, his is, knee. Is that when Price fought the, that taxi driver? Who yeah. literally looked like he had been working yeah, yeah. that day. So after that, he goes on and fights George Groves, super middleweight, lost. And then he fights for a super middleweight, some bullshit WBA title, lost. Oh, sorry, no, he won that against the guy who was undefeated. Like the worst undefeated record you'll ever see. Went on to lose three of his next four after that. So don't give me that. The Nuhu Lawal was some killer. He wasn't. Then he fought a shot to shit Gabe Rosado up in Liverpool, where Hearn told us it's going to be a bloodbath. They made it like. Um, beautiful violence or something like that was what they called the poster. It was a terrible, terrible fight. Goes through to a, a dodgy 12-round points decision. Then fights Arman Tarosian. No idea who that person is. And so we're going to find seven months on from that. He's fighting Billy Joe Saunders. Now, Frank Warren, if you're listening to this, like you've got one shot at doing an O2 card. He's been building up to this. So he's going to put on at the O2 Billy Joe Saunders versus Martin Murray and Terry Flanagan versus Morris Hooker. Terry Flanagan doesn't sell a ticket in Manchester, his hometown. Terry Flanagan doesn't move the needle to such an extent Hearn won't even bother making Crawler versus Flanagan because he doesn't care. Like Flanagan is such a commercial like soft penis that it's irrelevant. <laughs> and so... You're taking him down to London at the O2, like the biggest venue in London for the boxing. And then you've got Billy Joe Saunders, who doesn't sell a ticket in London. Like you've had copper box shows where Willie Monroe Jr., you know, people were fighting in the crowd because like, that's what they do. So you're going to take that to the O2 in a far, far, far bigger venue and you're going to have nobody in there. Like, enter listeners. Sue me for this if you need to, Frank. If you're a listener to this and you want to go to that fight, I wouldn't bother buying a ticket. Just enter the email competition because there will be a lot of winners, I would guess, coming up to that fight. It's a fucking joke. Martin Murray should not be in a world title fight. Martin Murray versus Billy Joe Saunders. I don't get people are saying like, ah, it's a tick over fight until uh, Canelo or Golovkin are available in September. It times him well. That's fine. But he's coming off of a career best performance against David Lemieux over in Canada where he's he's shown a different side to Saunders that he can be disciplined. He can get himself in that brilliant fighting shape. He could take Lemieux to school. He deserves better than that. He deserves to be pushed on. And I'm not saying that he can get Golovkin or Canelo because they're going to be tied up clearly in May. But he deserves better than Martin Murray because Martin Murray is washed up on these shores. And it's unfair on Billy Joe Saunders to be in with Martin Murray because what we're going to get is a 12-round ball fest because if nothing else, Martin Murray's a hard man. And so it's going to be hard for Billy Joe Saunders to take him out. They couldn't do it to Lemieux. It's not going to look very much different to this. It's going to be... 120-108. We know that in advance. I, I would happily put money on three cards of 120-108 
because it is that fight. And Martin Murray won't get knocked out in it, I suspect. But he also has zero chance. This is as bad as price for Povetkin for me. Um, it's a good fight. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good fight. Um, uh, that, that, no! That's what no, that no, bloke no. with the brown envelope turning up was about. <laughs> Terry Bunce, everyone. Hey. No, no, but, but I, th- I think genuinely, <clears throat> if you take Billy Joe's record alongside Martin Murray's record, I think you're looking at Murray going, you've been in better company. So, yes, Murray is 35 and he's had hard fights. We remember the Golovkin fight. And he loses to anyone any good. Which is fair enough. But it's not like Billy Joe has 10 fights of, fuck me, this guy's been just, he's been bringing the house down in every fight. And I think we can get a bit hyped up by that one performance and forget that actually... Take, take the Lemieux fight out of it. Martin Murray wouldn't be an exception in his career, if that makes sense. Lemieux's the exception, not Murray. So, so for him, him fighting Murray is actually... Look, if Lemieux had been injured, he'd have fought Murray in December. Which is fine, but Lemieux should be um, the springboard onto something better, but, not a step back to but, a Martin Murray. But, but, but there's nothing better because... I'm just going to try and call this off the top of my head. You've got Canelo tied up. You've got... Canelo Golovkin tied up with each other. You've got Charlo, who we haven't seen at 160 in any meaningful fight yet, for us to say you're at the top table. But he'd still be better than Murray. Well, well, we think so, but he has to be in with the same quality that Murray's been in at 160. No, that's like saying Terence Crawford needs to fight the best at welterweight before he's given that well, shot. But, but that's what you're saying. He needs to fight. We, we haven't seen him at welterweight to make that decision. No, but at least he's going in against a world title holder. Oh, come on, man. Come on, man. No, it's for all Jeff- intents and purposes, he's fighting a world title it's holder. It's Jeff Horn, man. Who beat Pacquiao. <laughs> <laughs> you really, one of his, you said that. And you're going to go home with tonight. conviction. Yeah, you're going to go home with like conviction. You're going to go home here. and kiss your wife with that mouth. That. <laughs> He's one of Australia's no, super fighter boxers. No, no, but I think my point is this isn't something Warren hasn't done before. So I, when I saw it happen. It doesn't make it good. No, 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 it doesn't. But it was always what was going to happen. Because remember when they were talking about Billy Joe might fight James again, you're like, will he fuck? And then you knew at that point there they had no plan for him. Yeah? Because all Billy Joe wants is, I want to try and unify all the belts. I don't think he cares about anything else because he doesn't want to fight Hassan and Dam in GCAM. He doesn't want to fight the Japanese guys. So Murata, he doesn't want to fight him. Um, and then at that point, you've, you've either got guys who are tied up or guys, no one's available. So Boxrec ranked Murray at number nine. I'll, I'll take this if there's a bigger fight coming. Do you see what I mean? The, for me, it's that trade-off of, I got Lemieux, but I was ha- excited. Let me just have this period of, of reflection. For the last so 24 months, for the last 24 months, we've heard for Billy Joe Saunders, the big fight is coming. We'll hear it for the next 24 months. Yes. So, so if, if Golovkin Canelo is resolved and he doesn't get the fight in September, tune into the podcast. That's all I can say. But I think for now, for an April fight, Saunders isn't going anywhere because who do you really want Billy Joe to fight? You want him to fight one of Canelo or Golovkin? Absolutely. Right? So let's wait for that. If that doesn't happen... But I've been waiting for that for the last 24 months. This is constantly a carrot being dangled on a stick. Yeah. And we're never going to reach that. But, but, but now we're at a point... But this is happening on a treadmill. <laughs> but I think, I think that's the point though, isn't it? It's Now we've seen the performance in Billy Joe where we're like, fuck, th- th- this... We're this interested. Is, this is actually real. 
it's a, it's a, this fight could actually be real. So now we need Golovkin and Canelo to sort out their business. If they do a third fight, then I'm like, ah, oh, for fuck's sake. Then even I lose interest. And hopefully Billy Joe then moves up and goes, these guys don't really want to get involved with me. But the, the, the Murray fight... If Murray wasn't an MTK fighter, this fight wouldn't be happening. Okay, okay, let's go yeah. in from a different angle then, because Simon Thompson asks, Warren uh, points out rather, uh, Warren is at a train wreck of a quarter one for shows and matchmaking. Agree. Is the Frampton card the only positive for 2018, uh, which the Khan card may overshadow? Well, I have to say yes, because I get the Irish mob on my case. So <laughs> it's great, great fight in Dublin. Absolutely brilliant. Like three, three fifty, fifty five. But actually, no. Conrad Cummings. They are good fights. Yeah, Conrad Cummings versus Keel is a good fight. Like that's just just last man standing sort of business there. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I just I don't know who are you going to give us for the for the Khan thing. Like, you know, Callum Smith is doing the World Super Series of boxing. It'll be Rocky Fielding. Great. Fighting who? Martin no, Murray. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I think I think my point is. <laughs> Warren's struggling now because it's almost like it's almost like he blew his load last year. Yeah. He was chasing Hearn so hard last year that he blew his load and now he's a bit like, fuck, where do I go now? But there must be a lot of money tied up in the likes of Frampton Donaire, in the likes of booking Ellen Road for Selby Warrington. And so you're kind of scraping around a little bit. And I'm I'm absolutely baffled why you'd put this on at the O2. It's beyond me. Do you know if the it, it, all you would have had to do was stump up 50 grand for Sexton Dubois on that card. And I think I think at that point there, you're a bit like, I'm a bit more invested in yeah. this card now. What I, what I don't really get about boxing is that it just seems to be, when, when we talk about moving forward for promoters, it always seems to be about cash flow as though boxing is really poor. Why is it so poor in that respect? Why is there because, not enough money swimming around? Because boxers make a shitload of money and promoters make a little bit of money. So let's say you're a boxer, Andy, right? If the fight generates a hundred million, a leap of the imagination. No, no, yeah. it's not far. <laughs> no, if 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 the if the Andy White card generates a hundred million, the boxers on that card will probably take sixty of that. The broadcaster will take another twenty, twenty-five of that, and then you're kind of left with the rest to then cover all the costs. So you don't even win that much. Like everyone else just has to show up. Do you see what I mean? And that's the problem. So if you look at if you look at an AJ card, Sky take half the pay per view off the top, and then the rest of it gets split. So Sky Sky Sports box office will take a chunk of the pay per view. Sky Sports will then take their own set because these are separate entities, like for reporting purposes. So then Sky Sports will take their cut, and I'm sure there's another bit there that will be like Sky infrastructure. Everyone takes a cut. So, <clears throat> so Hearn doesn't make billions upon billions on boxing. So when, when you've then got to stump up purses for AJ, put those in escrow, that's, what, 12 million quid tied well, up? Presumably then, there's no end to this because no matter how much more boxing makes, the, the, the boxers are always going to proportionally take the same amount out of it. So there's always going to be this problem yeah. of not having enough money to put down for making like a, a future list of good fights It's the same up thing in the with football, isn't it? TV deal comes up and you're like, that's double what it was before. Yet clubs are still going bust. And you're like, how the fuck does this work? Because everyone just suddenly puts their spoon in the trough and takes out. That's how it works. But, uh, the, 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 yes, I, I can see that comparison. But the frustrating element is that football doesn't rely on money 
coming through the system in order to give you hope for the future of clashes. Like, you know, regardless of what happens, unless a Premier League club goes under, which has never happened and frankly won't, um, you're going to you're going to see Arsenal versus Man United. You're going to see Chelsea versus Spurs. Mm-hmm. You're going to see those yeah. those games yes, throughout but the, the season. But the, but the TV deal determines who you're going to see in the team. See, with 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 boxing, it always seems to be, uh, you know, it's not going to be possible for him to fight him because he's already got his money tied up in him. And I think. So my lo- the logic part of my way. mind goes, if there was more money, <clears throat> but if there was more money, it'd go somewhere else and right, there'd still not be enough money. As a football fan, you want to see Man City versus Man United. In those teams, you want to see Messi versus Ronaldo. That won't ever happen because the money isn't there to be able to make it happen. Yeah. That money is in Spain. That's the problem. Right. Because look, you're, you're planning, right? And that's why you see that fights have to be sequenced. So Hearns had to stump up money to sign Khan. He's then had to stump up money for this Kel Brook card. Now he's stumping up money for the Joshua card. That's in the same month where normally you'd want to spread all of this out. Yeah. So now you're waiting for he's got a now so he's got to now wait for the for the Brook money to come in, which is probably a 90-day window. Then you gotta wait for the Joshua money to come in, which is another 90-day window, before you can then go, shit, now I've got more money to recycle. And it's just juggling your cash flow. Okay. Where is it? Dan Frost asks, um, the light heavyweights, the division has turned into a hotbed of late. All four champions being equally powerful. Who do you feel could go on to unify the titles? And who here domestically has the better chance of winning a legit version at a world title? Legit version <laughs> um, of a world title. On the world scene, Bivol for me. Like It'd be interesting. Kovalev's maybe got, what, a two-year window left where he can possibly unify. Adonis Stevenson... I mean, unify is a leap because it means Adonis Stevenson has to get involved in that mix and the WBC don't seem keen to to make that happen. Um, but out of all the ones that are active, if you said take politics out of it, who's the best one out of all of them right now? I'd say Kovalev probably. Like, But in... You know, 18 months, two years time. Bivol for me probably will be. So I don't see what the... I've never seen what the fuss is about Bivol. Because I think you, you look at guys like Gavodchik, I'm like, more seasoned, probably hits harder. Um, I don't think anyone's going to unify this division. I, I just... No, I agree. Yeah, I, I think... That's I, why I had to caveat with take yeah, all of it I don't out. think... And, and the, great, <clears throat> the great thing about it is you don't need to. Because you look down the list at what, what mandatories will come up for people, they're still good fights. Eladia Alvarez, um, Sully Barrera, uh, Marcus Brown, as we mentioned earlier. You know, even guys who who have been beat like a like a Thomas Williams Jr. could come to this country and dominate. Like that it's the most stacked division. So you look at the champions and you look at who their mandatories are, all scary fights. And then you go down another level. Shit, this is still good. And you're getting down to about level five and you're like, I would watch any of these fights happening. And I don't know what it is about that weight division right now, but it's just stacked full of talent and no one really talks about it. Why is there, there seems to be a genuine appetite to try and unify the titles in the heavyweight division. Why does, why is there a perception of it not being the same further down the weight categories? Number one, you're a heavyweight. Number two, it's like the holy grail, isn't it? Like, you know, one man at the top of the tree holding all the belts. That's that's really the holy grail. And it doesn't feel the same for a light heavy or cruiserweight. It's nice and you respect it, but it's not it's not something steeped in history, if you see what I mean. 
But look right. at what happens when someone does it. The whole system falls apart the moment it happens. So Terence Crawford, when he beat uh, Indongo, unified all of them at light welterweight. And straight away, like before the fight had even happened, they'd ruled it out of being for the IBO title, I think. Uh, one of them, they said, no, I'm not paying that sanctioning fee. And then the moment it happened and like he walks away with all the belts, they're saying, right, well, now you've got this problem that you need to have your mandatory over here. You also have your mandatory due here. So instead of all that, he just walked away and went to welterweight and like freed up all those titles. But as soon as it happened, you started to see a load of icebergs forming in the distance. <laughs> and I think that's probably, you know, the boxers really want all that effort and all those costs, the finances of the, the kind of sanctioning fees, probably not. Boxing fan asks... Thoughts on Eddie Hearn's public outing of David Allen. Was he right to do it to spur him on? Eddie Hearn's proving himself to be a very poor man-manager. Like, look at the O'Hara Davis debacle where O'Hara Davis had to come out under his own initiative to draw a line under it, something seemingly a room full of grown men couldn't do. And then he tries this thing with Dave Allen, and we all know Dave Allen's a bit fragile mentally, right? So, so the last thing you want to do is start piling all that pressure on him, like, I I don't I get it and I don't get it and I guess it's a legacy of being a Hearn. He's never really had to to earn those stripes in boxing. Yes, he way. did. He was selling windows at fifteen years old. I, and well, because the safe style, mate. I, I like that. Sir. Terry sets the traps. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but so 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 in essence, he he's now struggled with O'Hara Davis. I think Dave Allen and you know Dave Allen's been on this show and he's been a good guy. I don't think him beating Lenroy Thomas is a foregone conclusion. I would actually be leaning towards Lenroy Thomas in that fight. And you know all of that talk means that if Dave Allen does lose, we then if Hearn doesn't cut him loose, then we know Hearn's spineless. Uh, okay, Paul Altai ask you if you had to pick one fighter in world boxing today who could fully dominate their division for the next 2 years and clear up the titles, who would you pick? Jamel Charla 154. Um, uh, Lomachenko would be the obvious one, but he's not sticking around at any one individual weight category. If he stuck around at featherweight, I'd have picked him there. Super featherweight, maybe I'd pick him in there. Um, but it, it depends on him actually finding a home somewhere. I just want to say a quick apology to Annie Ridley. I see that your feelings were hurt by my... <laughs> <laughs> by my piss taking last week about the commas in your question for Twitter. Um, don't be scared. Send in more questions in. I, I swear I won't, I won't take the piss. You're I, an arse. <laughs> You're an arse. I, 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 look, I, I know, I know. Never mind. But there you go. Grammar police <laughs> harass this man his semicolon. <laughs> It's making me feel ill and... <laughs> Love a bit of Radiohead. Sentence lacks an apostrophe. Yeah. How long have we been going? I'm fucked. I know. Uh, right, boxing fan asks, thoughts on Kid Galahad's fucking cocky attitude? <laughs> Where has it stemmed from? Who has he ever... Who has he ever fought? Why is this even linked to world titles? <laughs> fucking cunt. <laughs> So unnecessarily wow. aggressive. Wow, I just chucked that in on the end. Yeah. Wait, you need to you need to come on here, man. Like I like it. I <laughs> yeah. like it. I like that needless aggression. Um I don't get it at all. Kid Galahad has had a number of fights that were meant to happen, uh that didn't happen for whatever purpose, so he ends up fighting last minute standings. 
Don't eat Nando's. Yeah, Kid Galahad, uh, his brother allegedly spikes his protein shake. Um, <laughs> the worst, the worst excuse I think I've ever heard um, for failed drugs test. I don't get Kid Galahad whatsoever. So he's moved up from super bantamweight into featherweight to follow Quig and Frampton seemingly. It just seems like he wants to bunch himself amongst the elite and amongst the top fighters around those divisions without ever actually earning the right to do so. But so, you know what it is, don't you? It's the whole Ingle thing. And you, like, here's what you get in boxing. Like, and I, I call it this is the sky bullshit machine, isn't it? So, so this is what will happen, right? If you're from the Ingle gym, these words will be used for you: awkward, switch hitter, <laughs> slick, stylish. It doesn't matter if you walked around with both hands round your forehead. Yeah. If you, you could be in a corner just 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 convulsing and they still say you're being awkward and slick. <laughs> it, it is. It, it, it's that uh, people are that brain- is quite awkward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe they're saying so you, sick. So not you get slick. brainwashed by this Ingle thing and you believe that everyone that comes out of the Ingle gym is just a derivative of Prince Nassim Hamid, which isn't actually true. Like Naz was so far off the Ingle scale. Like he was more like like he was more a disciple of Harold Graham than he was a disciple of the Ingalls. Something that they never tell you. So Galahad gets a lot of shine just based on that. And Andy's telling me to hurry up, but I do what I want. <laughs> yeah, I know. You'll be late. <laughs> Which is why you're telling you to hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in, but in essence, look, Galahad will get one of the losers in this in this great British dust up if Quig lost to Figueroa. Oh no, Valdez, sorry. Then he might get he might get him. If Warrington loses to Selby or vice versa, he might get one of those. And then let's actually see him in a fight of some substance. I think he should just drop back down and fight Isaac Dogbo. Uh quick one from David McGinley. Doesn't look quick. <laughs> um <sighs> if they all fought in a league, who would come out as the top light heavyweight in the UK this summer? Buglioni, Yard, Burton, and a wild card, Boatzi. Bear in mind. It should be based on if they fought tomorrow, not with the ability to take <clears> them <throat> in the future. Okay. Um, yeah, give it... Yard. Give it. Yard. It'd be like Man City in the Premiership. Yard. Be, it'd be embarrassing. Well, you'd lose to Liverpool. You, you'd stop it. You'd stop it after two fights. You'd stop it. You'd be like, it's not safe for this guy to fight any of these guys. Oh, what, you're waiting on my response? <laughs> nope. Don't, no, no, no. The facts are facts. <laughs> Facts of facts. When you're the number three in the WBO and you hold that prestigious European title, you are literally untouchable. So you get put on wanky, shitty untouchables cards how, how's that Frank to, Warren puts on. How, how's this linked to the question? Out of interest. <laughs> Sounds like you're just venting right now. You okay then, Martin? No, I'm not okay. No, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> when you are that good, you're literally untouchable. So your promoter invests no money into your opponents so there we go look that's it european champion fighting europeans it's absolutely brilliant like he's (laughs) he's fighting the best european fighters out there he really is yeah he really is i mean those are the best winning records like like you know like while like anthony yard is they probably actually i think they did off from the ricky summers fight and he was like just out of mercy i'm not going to take this fight i don't want to hurt ricky ricky's a good guy yeah no i want to take out some uh bloke i didn't even know when i box wrecked him but but good. now you know, and now you appreciate. No, the I've forgotten. That, I can't now even give you the name. <laughs> I can't even give you the name. Like that, that Untouchables card. Can't you quickly mention this, right? You've got um, Dubois, 
fighting Dio Jones, which will be hard worse very than the fight. AJ Carter fight. Very hard fight. <laughs> For Dio saying? Jones, yeah. No, but very hard fight. But I think people are underestimating Dave Jones. Yeah. Like, six foot five, solid. Apparently he's about, Undefeated. To, become a, about to become a prison officer. He's so he's a tough man. On us. <laughs> so that Dio Jones bumps. fight, that will be worse than the AJ Carter knockout. Um, I I heard other heavyweights were offered the Jones fight and they were like, I can't, I, I'm not ready for it. Yeah, no, I'd imagine so. AJ included, I heard. I'd imagine, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, he, he might have dropped Joshua in sparring. I need to confirm that was the Dave Jones. <laughs> so I don't know. Look, Dave but, Jones have a common name, so it may or may not have been him. Um, no, nah, look, you've got Bradley Skeet fighting uh, Leglog, Leglov or something from Hungary. Ooh, that does sound like, Underrated, like devastated. He's probably knocked out his last five <laughs> opponents. Underrated. <laughs> so that card is horrendous. Are they almost saying that with the untouchable thing? These blokes are not going to get beaten. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's kind of where it's at. So I, I don't know. Like, it's amazing. Like, I think it's, it's, it's probably one of Frank's better cards. I can't it's, argue it's, with this. It's brilliant. <laughs> right. Okay. It's gone on too long. Um, send send help. Follow send up, help. Follow up on Terry's discussion about the WBC's CBP. Eddie has said that the WBA are now going to implement the same system. Do you foresee any? Well, we told issues? we told everyone that before. Um, yeah. Listen, yeah. right? I told people about that 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 drink you can what have. What does CBP stand for? Clean boxing program. But look, here's the problem, right? If you go on any forum, any stoner forum, and ask, how do you guys cope with workplace drug testing? There's a drink. I want to say it's called Zydol or Zydol. The one you sent us the, uh, yes. the link for. Yes. Now, is it inconceivable that when these Vada people come to my house and I'm like, I'm dry. I have nothing in me. I need to rehydrate. And the first drink I go for is that. And then all of a sudden I go for a piss and the metabolites are diluted enough that I pass the test. I'm a clean boxer we're never going to crack this until until governments actually start clamping down on the underground labs and getting all the details of where these things are going to, all those shipping addresses. Where's the appetite for that? Um, Riku Heikl asks, uh, Eddie Hearn said that Joshua's career has been perfectly managed. Hypothetically, do you think he should have joined, uh, if he'd have joined Frank Warren or Haymaker, would he have done things, uh, where would he have been now? He'd be on the Untouchables card fighting Leglov Leglov <laughs> from Hungary for WBO European title. Now look, to be fair to Hearn, you can't make an argument against Anthony Joshua's career being perfectly managed. You can't. Like, as much as we may take the piss out of Hearn, we may take the piss out of Joshua, we may say they haven't got the best legacies, both of them. What is management of a boxer? It is about making sure the boxer leaves that sport with the most money available to them. That you've made the most money for them. You've given them memories and things like that. So for somebody like Joshua, who, you know, he's not the greatest boxer of all time, but he's probably one of the best heavyweights of his era. What they've done for him is phenomenal because he's not like, he's not miles and miles skill-wise. He's not Lomachenko. He's not taking out everybody by miles. What he is, is he's, he's very good. But what Hearn has done is made his marketability phenomenal. And so could you have done... Exploited it to this... To its yeah, could anyone have done that any better? Zenith. To be fair, probably not. Like, mm. I can't suggest how you would manage that career any better than getting him a Wembley fight, two Cardiff fights, and him being a multi-millionaire by the time he hits 30. Maybe only an American fight. I think that might have been the only thing you'd have tried to sneak in there. 
Yeah, maybe, but I mean, again, like when they talk about when that fighter leaves the sport, when they leave with those millions and millions that Hearns made him through whatever commercial agreements and commercial partnerships as well, mm-hmm. all the shady backwater stuff oh. that may have allegedly gone on. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't care because what I do, well, I do care, but what I, I care about is the boxer leaves the sport with the money that they make and Joshua will leave the sport with millions. In, in terms of like... Um, accessible revenue at this point would the worst thing for Joshua right now be if Wilder lost to Ortiz or Fury went mental again like because they're, they're two fights that could make a lot of money for him right they're the only fights that will make him a lot of money so but he's already making a lot of money by making not the greatest but, fights but not not amazing money because remember in every picture there's like 50 hangers on I'm hearing... He can't do another Wembley without Wilder or Fury, though, can he? Well, you would have said that, but, but, but he so, did so, Takam at Cardiff. So Hearn's view, actually, so Hearn, Hearn addresses this on the infamous train interview. What he says is, we got away with the Takam fight because of the Klitschko fight. We can't keep having, like, those mandatory or those voluntary... You know, we can't keep having those sort of shitty fights, and that's what it was. We can't keep having those shitty fights in stadiums. They're O2 fights, really, because the fans will get bored eventually. So at least Hearn's aware... And, and, and this is what I mean about Hearn. I know I give him a hard time and most of it's deserved, but there are times where you see that Hearn's thinking, or if he's not thinking, at least his dad's thinking. Someone in Matchroom is thinking and going, you know, we don't want to take the piss here. We want to take the piss, but we've got to know when to stop taking the piss. Every so often we've got to put back into the pot. Um, Rico Heikler says, O'Hara Davis said in his IFL interview that he was poorly advised. What lessons can young boxers learn from him and who are the worst managed boxers in British boxing? Read the article, man. Why don't people just jump on my website? Read, I already addressed all of this. <laughs> uh, Jamie Ingleby asks... Uh, Again, there's a Leeds fan. You have free reign to guide Matchroom's next-gen Olympians. Who would be next rather than uh, record padding by the end of 2018, early 2019? What fights would you like to see? Cordina, Ritson and Boatsy but in our mind in an ideal world. Boatsy Bullioni. Ritson needs to solidify around British title level. Uh, we don't really know enough about him yet. What's he done? He's beaten Robbie Barrett convincingly. Like, let's throw him in. Um, he's got the use it, uh, Gallagher fighter, I think he's fighting soon, allegedly up in Manchester. Um, the most God. commonly used word on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I can't remember who it is. Uh, ex-champion. My brain's not thinking. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to get to the end of this now. <laughs> All right. Um, we're going to skip across that. Uh, Ali McKenzie asks, how long can promoters survive and how long until television execs get fed up with so many cl- shows clashing? Two years. <laughs> 24 months. <laughs> um, Only four weeks. It will cause a problem and... I don't think TV execs will put up with it that long if the ratings aren't that good. So we discussed it last week. For me, it's clearly a policy by Hearn to try and kill off the opposition by making clashes. He claims it's not. I would dispute that. In boxing terms, what the hell is happening with Hennessy Sports, asks boxing fan. Discussed earlier, massive implosion, trying to wind it up so he can start something new. Just stop fucking with the guy. <laughs> <laughs> right, mine's losing the world to live, so we're wrapping things up. Usyk Bradis, quick preview. Usyk will hammer him. Like, Bradis didn't look great uh, in his last outing. I think Usyk is special. Um, it's a I, machine. I just don't see anything that Bradis brings. Based on that last performance uh, in the World Boxing Super Series, I don't see anything that he brings that is going to put off someone like an Usyk, who just, he does everything so well. 
Um, you know, we've spoken about him at length in the past, and we've, we've gone on so long now that we're probably not going to go on about him at length now, but we can likely do so next week once he's taken Bradis apart, which he will. Um, there we go. Hergovic versus Tom Little. Um, Hergovic, yes. ex-sparring partner <laughs> of David Hay, and I think he's probably sparred Joshua as well. Um, one of these sort of like Olympians, he's of the Tony Yoka era, so Tony Yoka, Joe Joyce era. I think he's probably promoted by the Sowlands. And he's up against Tom Little, and everyone knows Tom Little's been very vocal in his desire to fight anyone over anything. But it'll be a good fight for Hergovic. At least we'll know if he beats Little, he's kind of at area level. And then he'll have to to step up. Where I think they'll probably base him out of <clears> Europe, <throat> where there are a fair few bodies like Tom Schwartz that he can run over. So... Good fight just to see, you know, what he does as a pro. I saw his first fight. Wasn't amazing, but it was good enough. You know, you know let's see which one of the 2016 heavyweights makes a statement like Joshua did. Hergovic has got huge, huge hype around him. So if you don't know about the name, you likely will in the near future. Um, Tom Little is, you know, we know where Tom Little's at. He won the Southern Area by beating Tom Dallas. Um, he's been pushing for the Joe Joyce fight. That may still happen down the line. Um, but he's no world beater by any means. So Hergovic should go through him fairly easily, but fair play to Tom Little for going out and taking it. Okay, we're coming to the end of the podcast now. Um, a rather On a rather somber note, regular listeners to the podcast will know that mental health has not exactly been a stranger to the podcast. Um, we've gone through many things from um, boxers that have been tragically injured and some that have passed away not necessarily due to mental health problems but those sort of macabre sort of subjects that we've had to cover in the past um all the way through to to drug use in the sport which generally tended generally implied rather than discussed but that can also um contribute to poor mental health unfortunately it's not just inside the sport it surrounds the sport and it's part of everyday life um and uh it's been brought to the pause attention that um a gentleman named Simon Walker unfortunately took his took his own life as a result of depression. Um, it's been it's been told to us that it was a complete shock and nobody saw it coming, which generally it tends to be that way. Um, yeah, it's not exactly the most. Um, it, like I say, it's a macabre point to bring up. Yeah, look, I get his message from James Sunderland um, just saying about it, and would we kind of cover it? as part of the sport. Look, I don't know what our demographic is of listeners. If I had to take a punt, it's probably mainly males between 20 to 35 years old. Look, suicide is the biggest killer of males aged 20 to 35 years old. Um, you know, as a result of mental health problems, depression, etc. Um, only this week I was watching a video by Leon McKenzie. He's got a depression uh, a mental health documentary being made about him at present that's going to be out on Netflix later on this year. A man who, when he was playing football for Crystal Palace, tried to take his own life one evening, was unsuccessful, was uh, ultimately successful in that he didn't, but tried to do it and was unsuccessful in doing so. He turned up for training the next day at Crystal Palace. It was never discussed. He never got the help that he needed for it. Um, those issues have gone on in his head. They've gone in in many people's heads through boxing. We see the likes of Dave Allen has suffered with the mental health problems. So look, it was just, it, I said to James, we would give it a quick shout out. 
for anyone out there, you know, boxing is a very macho sport, but you will also find that it's a sport that is um, very solo, is very um, self-driven. Isolating. Isolating, and to that end, you end up with a lot of people involved in the sport that have to deal with everything themselves, and that causes a lot of mental health problems. So look, <laughs> boxing is probably one of the few sports and the few communities that can understand it better than a macho football changing room where you get lots of people that have got all the egos boxing doesn't necessarily have that so we'd support anyone out there that ever has mental health problems to look like even if it's just to say can i message you and like message me and i'll help in some way not that i'm a fucking counselor not that i'm any of those things no, but, but frankly it's better to talk look, to if, anyone yeah if no someone one. can support you and that's me that's don't bother messaging andy because he'll never get back in contact with you <laughs> if it's terry look we are there and i'm not i'm not trying to say that we are the answer but look if it if there was just one person out there that had a problem that then messaged us and we said yeah. i'll listen to you then that's better than nothing and if that's what came out of this and somebody did that, then I'd at least like to think that hopefully we could add something. I think traditional machismo, like macho uh, ways of dealing with things is to bottle them up and not talk about them. But the most the, the most brave thing you can do is be be brave enough to be vulnerable. And if you're struggling with something, is to speak to someone and just open up. And that's terrifying for most men, frankly. But that is when you have to be at your strongest. And opening up and talking about it is a lot harder than than, than not, frankly. And if you don't, that's when it drags you down. Um, <clears throat> we live in an interesting world now where people live miles and miles away from their families and they live miles and miles away from their friends and the things that they know and trust. And I... I Living in London like I do, I see this every day through the people I help train and the people I talk to. It's a massive loneliness epidemic we have in this country where even if you wanted to talk to someone, there isn't anyone down the road you can pop down and talk to. So things become insulated from the support structures. Relationships happen between two people, normally in a flat with no one else around them that can offer support. And I guess, you know, being involved in a boxing club, this is one of the areas I find important because I always say, come and come to us and we will try and solve our problems. The one thing I love about Fitzroy Lodge is every time I've fallen, and I've fallen a few times in my life where I didn't know what the answer was, but someone in the gym knew the right thing to say. And it ultimately used to boil down to, you control your destiny. But you need to have those conversations with people who will listen, understand, and remind you that you control your destiny and you are capable of anything you put your mind to. So, in terms of mental health, here's my to everyone. If you can't look at the people you call friends and feel comfortable talking about anything at any time, you might have to change your friends. You might have to change your surroundings because your true friends will sit down and they'll ask how you are and you should be able to share those stories. The one thing I've always said, and it's a promise I make, is my friends will see me conquer my biggest fears and they'll see me take on my biggest triumphs because that's what friends are there for. And use your friends, use your family, and use your network because that's all you have in terms of keeping you on the straight and narrow. And it's not always going to be easy, but with the right people around you, you can manage the highs and the lows better than you can on your own. 
on that note, uh, I guess we'll leave you to it. Get in touch with us if you I've need us. Ten minutes to get a fucking train. At New Age Boxing, <laughs> at New Age Boxing UK, at the Seven Wolves. My Prius is not that quick. As I mentioned, if you get in touch with me, wasting your time. <laughs> wasting your time. Yeah, you really are. So if you need a right, anyway, thank you very much for listening. Um, Terry shooting for the door. Bye. Watch it.